Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Nystrom, Nystrom's really getting some good right hands in. Gillies is down with Sandstrom. Somebody better help Sandstrom. Everyone must be held accountable for their actions. You cannot see your star carried out in a stretcher and do nothing about it. Oh my, did Mick plant one on C-card. Wow. You can't put a bounty on a man's head. I just did. Yeah, that's exactly what we should do. Run him up and fill him in. Then why don't you? The kids don't want it. They don't skate, they don't score, they don't hit, they don't fight, they float. They don't love to win. They don't hate to lose. The spinning, spinning, who's he going to go after? The puck drops and Bobbiner goes right to King Blackenville. But just a minute, Al Arbor has won four Stanley Cups, so don't start telling Al Arbor what to do, you and John Davison. This is Coliseum Chronicles The Penalty Box, your source for Islanders Enforcer Talk. Proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, and I'm your host, Joe Lazito. And welcome to episode 140. Folks, again, we are going off the island today. My guest, this is a uh, an episode I'm bringing back from the old Nordiques Knuckles podcast. We're going part one with Ivan Matulik. We'll get into Ivan a little bit later, but first... If you're on social media, the links to my Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok accounts are below in the show notes. So please click on any of those links and let's connect via social media. Also in the show notes is a link to Islanders A to Z. That is the Islanders children's book that was illustrated by the man who drew, well, drew, let's say created the logo for this very program. That is the ultimately Ultimately is not a good adjective. I, I shit the bet on that one. The insanely talented Mr. Joe Marisich. And if you have an art project that you need done, you need created from scratch, you need the, the most amazing art project for something you're working on or a gift, 
please contact Joe on Twitter at GraphicsJoker or via LoudEgg.com. Now, as always, I want to mention a few of the boys. Uh, if you like this show, uh, let's face it, if you if you listen to the show, uh, chances are you know you know these fellas. Uh, let's start with Darren, the host of the Fourth Line Voice podcast. Now, Darren's latest episode, I listened to it yesterday. Um, <laughs> aside from my week on the internet, which uh, which is my favorite feature of his that he does, he did a he did a list the fifteen worst flyers of all time. Now, as you might imagine. Someone that's doing an article called the 15 worst flyers of all time. Um, it's low hanging fruit to use enforcers. And that's all I'll say. Um, this guy, uh, arguably this list and Darren has done some pretty good lists. And again, these are not Darren's lists. These are lists that people send him. Uh, Darren has done some good ones and he's done a few bad ones. I know some of the hockey news ones from this past summer were, Let's just say pretty fucking awful. But this one, this one might take the cake. The cringe factor is off the charts with this one. Um, obviously, this guy, I can't imagine he's that big of a hockey fan. It really sounds like um, he probably just opened up Hockey DB, went to the Flyers all-time uh, player list, and started from there. But uh, like I said, the cringe factor on this list is just awful. You should listen to the episode anyway, but uh, follow along for just uh, – maybe the worst list that Darren has ever, uh, ever brought us. Uh, but like I said, it's a, it's a cringe fun listen as far as the list goes, but always my week on the internet is great. And Darren's episode before that, um, as Darren says, you have to reach up to touch rock bottom. And, uh, his guest on the episode before that was yours truly. And, um, we did, um, well, he did an IHL list the episode before that, a top, top 10 IHL fighters. And, um, he thought it would be a good idea to have me on to give my top 10 list. And, uh, I threw a monkey wrench in it. Uh, spoiler alert. I did a top 25. So, um, so if you're a fan of the old IHL, I would urge you to listen to that episode as well. I mean, he, you should be listening to all his episodes anyway. So give the fourth line voice a listen and uh, like I said, definitely get <laughs> you gotta listen to this worst flyer list. Holy fuck, it's it's fucking embarrassing. Um, and catch the episode before if you're not sick of my voice already on this show. Um, speaking of cross promotion, the Five for Fighting podcast hosted by Alec Coden Salen, uh, also a proud member of the Hockey Podcast Network, like Darren and myself, uh, also uh, a member of Hip Club Hockey. Not also. Uh, well, they have other people, just not Darren or I. Uh, and his latest episode, uh, Darren and Alec discuss hockey cinema. Pretty, uh, pretty interesting episode. They touch on the probably if you're if you're a hockey fight lunatic like us, uh, you've seen all of these documentaries. Um, but it's pretty cool to have them all in one place in case you missed one or two. And it's also a good place to uh, almost have a checklist. You can kind of say, okay, I saw that one. I didn't see that one, saw that one. So um, lately we've just been cross-promoting each other. So uh, definitely check out uh, Five for Fighting podcast as well. Uh, definitely check out the back catalog uh, for both of the boys here. And uh, also check out the uh, corresponding YouTube channels as well. Let's see. So that brings us to the 2023-24 20, 
New York Islanders slash Bridgeport Islanders fight report. What? Um, <laughs> I, what, what, I mean, come on. <laughs> Uh, I think we have uh, we have uh, one addition, and uh, I know since the last time we spoke, there has not been any additions to the Islander, New York Islander fight side. Uh, Matt Martin versus Mark Kastelik was the last one, and that was almost a month ago. So uh, no additions on the Islander side. Although I guess Casey Sezikis wanted to fight the fans, but uh, I didn't put that here. Um, Bridgeport had a fight, uh, let's see, this would be about a week and a half ago, but I don't think I touched on this on the last episode, so let's just, let me catch you up on the Bridgeport fights. On October 28th, Kyle McLean fought Zach Dalpy of Charlotte, and most recently, Seth Helgeson, the captain, fought uh, Austin Osmanski of Springfield. So, so far, the Islanders fight report, including preseason, we have six fights so far. So. Um, you know, it's probably par for the course. Um, Nick Delorier probably has more fights than the entire entire Islanders organization at this point. Uh, but uh, alas. So um, I think that's about all I have. Thank you for the feedback on the last episode. That was pretty much just me venting on... Uh, I guess it was triggered by... I, I hate using that word triggered. To me, it has such a beta connotation. Um but uh, I guess it, it, it was inspired, let's say, uh, by Casey Sezika's comments uh, about how the fans should stay home. And uh, I think it was just sort of like the wheels are falling off. And, and after that episode, they, they continued their downward trajectory, although they are, they are undefeated in one. So let's hope they build on this. I mean, as... I don't know if the episode was negative or realistic. Maybe a question of both. And, um, you know, obviously I want them to win. I want them to win every game. I want them to win the Stanley Cup. And like I said, they are undefeated in one game. And uh, they play tomorrow, by the way. Sorry for getting this out late to you. Uh, it's Tuesday morning. And they play tomorrow against Philly. They got Philly uh, twice over the next three games at home. Uh, in between is uh, Ottawa. I would love to see them, you know, win two of the next three. I mean, I think saying win three of the next three might be a bit unrealistic, but if you can pull off two of these wins out of the next three, maybe you get the ship righted a bit. But um, <clears throat> uh, hopefully they turn things around. Uh, they won the last game against uh, Calgary, so I think that may have saved Lane for a little bit. But, uh, I mean, ultimately, I think I think we all know where this is going. I'd, I'd really be surprised if he's here a lot longer and, you know, I, I like the guy. I get a lot of shit for it. I always say I liked him when I liked him as a player. So maybe I give him a little extra rope here as a coach. Uh, but as I said in the episode, I don't think I don't think he's long for this team. So uh, it could just be delaying the inevitable. But we'll see. Hopefully they turn it around and this November uh, portion of the schedule is just a bad memory. So, but thank you for all the feedback I received on that episode. Now, today's episode, so for those of you who don't know, and I think most of you probably do know, uh, I tried to do a Quebec Nordiques podcast similar to this one, and um, I got four interviews in and then started getting similar responses to responses I get for interview requests for this one, um, either guys ghost you or they get the message, and then I have to send in reinforcements to try to find out if they got the message. And, of course, they did, but they didn't feel like writing back. 
get a, uh, I'll, I'll have to get back to you. Let me think about it. And, um, you know, that whole frustrating part, just, I just said, fuck it. It's just not, not for me. I'm not going to pursue this. So, uh, I, I put that show in the ground, uh, but I wanted to bring those interviews over here. Uh, the last of those interviews is, uh, with Ivan Matulik and Ivan, if you if you listen to those shows or you listen to, uh, I think I mentioned it in the last episode, uh, Ivan is not the typical guest that I would have on this show in terms of his on-ice toughness. Now, Ivan on the ice, uh, definitely a sandpaper guy, shit disturber, uh, puts up points. Ivan is the kind of guy that no matter what team he plays on is a fan favorite because he's a blue-collar guy. Uh, doesn't mind scrapping, although it's not his primary job, but definitely is a guy that's all Ivan does is pretty much score timely goals, uh, have timely hits, maybe, you know, like I said, turn the tide a bit, uh, some veteran presence. If he has to scrappy, well, Ivan is a legend over in the UK and there's a good reason for it. That only really tells half the story. Uh, honestly, it, it does. Now, I know if you're now I'm 53. So if you're around my age and you grew up and you kind of realize it was kind of presented to you that communism is bad. And then when you learned about communism, your common sense took over and said, yeah, this is pretty shitty. Right. And it was just kind of okay. Now, unlike today's today's youth and today's colleges and stuff where they're teaching how great communism is, but uh, I digress. I always say, if you want to know how great communism is, ask anyone who's escaped it. Ivan is one of those people. But but back then, when he left, it wasn't the kind of thing where you could just get in your car and cross the border. No, it was pretty much life and death. And I'm not overstating that. So for you people out there who maybe aren't familiar with Ivan's story, I became familiar with it through Mike McWilliam, former guest of the show, good friend of mine. Uh, Mac and Ivan played together, and Mac had a short-lived show uh, first off the bench, which I wish he would bring back. I wish he had time to bring it back because I loved it. Uh, Definitely check that out. He had some pretty good guests on there, especially um, Islander-related guests like Bobby Nystrom, Mick Vakoda. They were on there. Um, So I would check that out. And one of the guests was Ivan Matulik, and his story just blew me away. And I I think at at the point I am now, there's very few things that are going to make me go, wow. There's very few stories that are going to make me go, holy fuck, and just blow me out of the water. And Ivan's story did. Um, And I remember when, uh, when the Stastny's came over and, and, you know, just talking about the defection of from the communist countries into, into North America and in uh, North America and Canada, like, okay. So obviously Canada is part of North America, um, America and Canada. And it really is pretty harrowing. And Ivan tells us his story. Well, tells me his story. And pre- I present it to you folks. Um, it's fucking mind blowing. So, I would definitely urge anyone to listen to this episode to hear just what it was like for Ivan getting out of getting out of that country. But um, aside from that, the hockey stories are phenomenal. I mean, they are. He's got stories about Mick Vakoda, Kenny Baumgartner in here. So um, I would definitely and, – and Ivan is such a great personality. I don't think you can help but fall in love with him by the end of the interview. 
So um, I'm very happy that uh, that I was able to connect with Ivan through Mac on social media. Hopefully one day Ivan is uh, on the East Coast here or I'm out West in BC and we can hook up and have a beer in person because uh, he really is someone I would love to sit down with and also a Seinfeld junkie. So as am I, and if you are, then we all have that in common. So, um, you know, I, I'm not going to try to sell you on Ivan Matulik when I can just have you listen to the interview. So this is part one. Uh, I, again, like all my guests, very generous with his time, very generous. You know, we had the time difference here with me being in New York and being in BC. He works a full-time job. So, um, Thank you to Ivan for his time. And again, I'm not going to try to sell you on him when I can just have you listen to the man himself. So after these commercial messages, here's part one with Ivan Matulik. Everybody out there, please have a great week and stay safe. Bet the action on the ice with DraftKings Sportsbook. Download the app now and use code THPN. New customers can get 150 bucks instantly in bonus bets for betting just $5 on hockey. That's code THPN, only on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NHL. The crown is yours. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boothill Casino and Resort, 21 plus, age varies by jurisdiction. Void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash hockey for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. NHL and the NHL Shield are registered trademarks of the National Hockey League. Copyright NHL 2023. All rights reserved. Ladies and gentlemen, this is a very special interview for me. And the reason why I say that is uh, I've said this a million times to my friends and to people that I know. Um, I've never taken a shift in any sort of hockey game. But I have made so many great relationships with the sport and uh, just the people that I've met. And it's just been really fulfilling in my life. And my guest today is its sort of like a six degree of separation type thing. As many of you know, Dean Ewan, he's my best friend in the world. He's my brother. And through Dean, I've met a lot of people. And one of those people that I met through Dean was Mike McWilliam, who is a great guy. And I'm very happy to call him a friend. And through Mike McWilliam... I was able to find out about my guest today. I was able to find out his story, which I find so amazing. And uh, I'm really happy that my guest today, I can call him a friend, although we've never met in person. And I hope we can change that one day. But uh, but hockey guys are the best. And I'm very happy to have Ivan Matulik on the show today. Ivan, how's it going? Joel, doing great. Thank you for having me, man. Honored to be on your show. Well, the honor's all mine. So, uh, and and folks, there's a lot of interviews out there with Ivan. He he's done a lot of interviews, and his story is amazing. And I would encourage you after you listen to this show to to check out some of his other interviews, especially ones that he's done on the UK side because they're great. And I think Ivan has an amazing story. And uh, let me thank Mike McWilliam right at the start for introducing me to your story. And um, Ivan, I think you'll agree with me. You did his show. I think he needs to bring that show back, don't you think? 
Loved it, yeah. I, I did watch a few of his episodes there, and uh, I really enjoyed talking to him myself. And Mike is my brother, so maybe a little bit biased, but I think he did a fantastic job, and I uh, was sad to see it gone, for sure. I mean, he did a great job. You know, he's got that my off the ice. He's got that mild mannered temperament and everything. Plus, he's a great looking guy. So I'm sure the ladies love the show. And he spoke about hockey, so the boys love the show. So I think he's got to bring it back. Hundred percent. Hopefully, that's gonna be the case for sure. <laughs> okay. So, um, I when I was researching this interview, I've seen uh, I saw that you were from two places, and I'm guessing maybe you were born in one but raised in the other. I've seen uh, Nitra, Czechoslovakia, and also Bratislava. So were you born in one and raised in the other, or is it the kind of thing where the geography is just very close? Uh, set the record straight. Well, no, it's, it's correct. I was, I was born in Nitra, which is about uh, 80 kilometers, would be about 50 miles from Bratislava. My mom was a, a leading lady in a theater in Nitra, and uh, she, we lived there till I was about probably 11 or 11 and then she went and freelance. She left the theater for her love of uh, uh, music and formed the band. And despite all the pleas to stay in the theater as a leading lady, she left. And they moved to Bratislava, which is a capital city. And that's where Bratislava comes into play and hockey comes into play, really, in my life. Now, while I was researching this also, I, it, and I, I read about your mom, apparently very, very artistic, like you said, an actress and, and musician, singer. Uh, was your father also an actor, too? Yes, yes. My, uh, both of my parents were from uh, the outside of the, of the craft, and uh, my dad has a, had a pretty decent acting career, but his most notable work is uh, producing. He was a producer, and he still does it till this day. Uh, pushing artists, whether it's uh, painters, uh, sculptors, or, or writers. Uh, um, so, yeah, both very artistic background. I didn't stick on me. I didn't, didn't get into my DNA. Skip the generation. <laughs> so um, if I had a time machine and I went back to Bratislava and I was able to see a young Ivan Matulik skating there playing hockey, uh, who was your hockey hero? And uh, what I always say is when, when I was growing up here on Long Island and I was playing street hockey, I was always Clark Gillies or Bob Nystrom. Uh, if I had a time machine and I went back, who was a young Ivan Matulik? Do you know, uh, Joe, like the, the, the Stasny brothers were a little bit uh... – older than I was, so I didn't have a chance to catch him playing, but I heard tons about him as a kid growing up. My my real kind of model was Dusan Pasek, was a, was a guy that uh, made it to North America and I think was with Minnesota, didn't really break through into the NHL and sadly uh, uh, passed away due to suicide later on. But he was the kind of star that I, I, I remember being, you know, one of the fans as, as a kid, all the way up to I was about 15, 16, till I really uh, got into a series hockey, sitting as a, as a fan base, Bratislava had an unbelievable following. Like the old arena held eight, 9,000 people, and, and Section C was uh, about 2,000 devoted fans singing and chanting, and that's where I was. So, so he was the guy that kind of looked up to growing up as a player and uh, chanting from the stands as a a uh, bit of a hooligan side that that was the fifteen hundred yeah. Until I had to clean my act up and become a a player. And did you eventually play with him? Uh, Dushan and I, yeah, yeah. I ended up playing with Dushan uh, one year before I defected. I made the 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 
the team from Bratislava as a very young guy, 17 to 18. So one year, and then I, of course, defected just after I turned 18. Uh, so I had a chance to, to, to play with him on a team for one year. And you mentioned the Stasny brothers, and and for people that grew up with me here, that especially people that went to high school with me, uh, I had my Islanders jerseys, but I also had uh, I had some Quebec jerseys. I had three, as a matter of fact. I had uh, Dale Hunter and Gord Donnelly, which nobody will be surprised with listening to this. But I also had a Peter Stasny jersey. And on the island here with the Islanders, it was cool. We had uh, the Sutter brothers, you know, here on the Islanders, Brent and Dwayne, and obviously we had the Sutter brothers across the NHL. But they never had three on a team, and I think one of the reasons why I, I started liking Quebec as, as my second favorite team was when I was 12, 13 years old, and I'm watching the games on TV, and all of a sudden I'm seeing three brothers, not only on the same team, but playing on the same line. And as good as they all were, like Peter was just, I mean, world class and, and, and one of the greatest players of all time, and I think aside from players like Dale Hunter and later on Gord Donnelly and then you know, the guys that you played with, um, the Stastny brothers were really a big reason why I started following Quebec. And, and I would imagine you, you know, you said they're a little older than you, but as a kid, they must've been everything in Bratislava. They certainly were. I mean, uh, um, Bratislava and, and hockey has a long tradition, but the era of Stastny brothers is, a uh, is, a uh, unforgettable. I mean, it is, uh, even, even now, when you drop Stasny brothers' name in, in, in hockey circles in Czechoslovakia, not just Slovakia, they are, they are a household. They were, like, you know, one of the uh, stalwarts of, of, of building hockey statue in, in, in Bratislava, certainly, probably in Czechoslovakia as well. Now, I, I've heard people ask you this question, and I'm glad I listened to the to the interview because I sort of, when I heard them ask you this, I was like, yeah, that makes sense. And I've heard people ask you what it was like growing up in a communist country, and your answer always is, that's all you knew, so you didn't know any better. So let me put a different spin on it. You grew up in communist Czechoslovakia. Now that you know, now that you've lived in different places where there's certain freedoms, and when you look back on growing up in a communist country, um, what do you, what does it make you remember? In other words, like for us here in the States growing up, it was always, we were the good guys and Russia was the bad guys. Cause everyone associates communism with Russia, the, you know, the big, bad, evil Russia, but you had Czechoslovakia was communist too. And after you defected and you experienced some freedoms, did it make you look back on how, how you grew up in the communist country and the differences? <clears throat> You know, good question, Joe. I, no, no, not really. I mean, you, you, you kind of take your childhood memories and kind of cherish them, and doesn't matter what political system you grew up in. I, I, I that part of my life, I, I don't look at it as as I was, I was uh, denied anything and or or uh, was lacking anything. We always had food on the table. It wasn't much, you know. Like the steak wasn't a mainstay course, uh, you know, meal at our house. That's for sure. But as far as growing up, I had a great childhood, lots of lots of great friends playing street hockey in, in, in the streets. And uh, I think that, you know, that nobody was prosecuted in my family. Nobody went to jail. So I was it was it lack of freedom in terms of wanting to go on holidays and, or speak your mind at that time, at that age, you don't you don't have nothing to speak of. You know, you're just, just kind of growing up. Uh, the, the change happened when I when I had a chance to travel with the, with the national team as a junior 
and seeing once we visited West Germany, Switzerland, and ended up going to Canada as a 17-year-old, um, seeing how people were uh, conducting themselves, and then just, uh, just, just that's when that's when the 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 the, uh, the will and want to be living and be part of it came in into play. Not until you know until I've seen it. And now, when I when I was researching, I, I, the uh, articles basically said that you were one of the youngest players always when you were playing on the national teams. Most of the players were older, and I think it was you and one other person that were always the younger players on the team. What uh, is that? Is that true? You were always playing when you were on the, the Czech national teams. You're always one of the younger guys, and if so, what were you able to learn from the older players? You know the. It was I got I got chosen as a 15 year old. Like the, the system over there is you get you, you get a the selection tournament and and uh, I made the junior national team under 16 as a 15 year old. But most of the guys were only 12 months apart, so I might have okay. been younger one, but it wasn't a significant difference. Okay. Uh, so 16, 17, 18, we were pretty much the same same group group age. I was you know maybe a year younger, 10 months younger. But then the the World Junior Championships give you that spread of almost three years, mm-hmm. and uh, there I had to got a chance to play with Robert Cron, Yuri uh, uh, Lato. Like there's quite a few great players that you know had some. Not many of guys from our team, that junior team, even though we finished silver, made the NHL. But it was still nice to play with guys as as a 18 year old that were 20 years old. That's a big gap, you know, like in terms of development. And I uh, was lucky enough to be chosen to play on that team. So in in, in that one year, and attempt, you know, attending all those camps and tournaments and being part of the World Junior Championships certainly uh, gave me a chance to learn and uh, um, pick up some stuff from guys that were older. Now, in 1986, it may as well be a different world universe than it is right now. So these young kids now that are getting drafted – Back in 86, there's no internet, there aren't any cell phones, and you are drafted by the Edmonton Oilers in the seventh round. When did you, now had you had any contact with NHL teams before that? Anyone reach out and try to call you, or you found out you were drafted and that was the first you had heard of anything? That's exactly, I had no idea I was drafted. I remember uh, going to a, a preseason tournament with my club, with Sloan Bratislava to Switzerland, and we came back. Apparently, somebody was trying to reach me in a, in a hotel, and uh, I got. They, they never got. We never hooked up. They never had any any contact with them. But when I came back home, I got hauled into the uh, coaching office and started getting drilled. You know, like we know we want to defect, and we know this. You drafted, and and um, you know we're you on the watch. We're gonna be watching you. And from that day on, I was not. There was three three trips we had as a club to go abroad and they never took me i guess they didn't want to be responsible for me leaving while i was on their watch mm-hmm. uh funny enough with the with the junior national team i ended up going to a couple of tournaments and uh it clearly i didn't defect right. but i was allowed to go with the national team but uh, my club team was the first place where i found i was drafted and i really uh started to feel the heat a little bit then you know i wasn't played played as much and uh, um, yeah, there, there started. I started to feel some 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 chill against against me, and it kind of sped up my decision to to move forward with my plan. And I, I want to make this clear. I, I I made a note here. 
it wasn't that Edmonton picked you at the last pick, like we're going to take a flyer on this guy. There were still five rounds left of the draft, so they obviously had a, a big interest in you. It wasn't that they took you in the 12th round and said, maybe we'll get him, maybe he'll come over, maybe we won't. And I don't know if you even know this. I went through that draft. You were picked ahead of guys that had really good NHL careers or pro careers like Murray Barron, uh, Dave McIlwain, Lance Pitlick. Greg Hallgood. So those are all guys that were actually picked after you. I'm not sure you were aware of that. No, it wasn't. But, uh, you know, I, I going back, I mean, at, at that age, I say from 16 to, to 18 until I left Czechoslovakia, I did have a pretty good good run there and I was uh, developing nicely. Um, so um, now that you said it, I'm, 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 I'm feeling proud, you know, like I, I, I got picked. But it doesn't, doesn't really play out the cards that I, once they're laid on a table, I've seen guys like Sean Podin, mm-hmm. I was in the camp with, with, uh, with Edmonton, came, I didn't even think he was drafted. If he was, it was like 12th round. And just through sheer work and deter- determination, he made a huge and long career. I don't know what Pots played in probably, had to be hundreds of games, yeah. won a cup with Colorado. Mm-hmm. So getting drafted is one part. But really, the work starts once you get there. And that's where my problem became a, a bit of an issue there. So, so as many guys. No, I'm not the only one. There's a lot of guys that got there, uh, you know, drafted higher and then just never, never, never panned out. Well, the reason why I bring that up is because, you know, like I said, back at the time, there's still the Cold War. And I'm sure a lot of these NHL teams had eyes over there in, in different parts of Europe. And maybe in the last round or second to last round, just said, you know what? There's really nobody in Canada that we were in love with. Let's just draft this guy and we'll see what happens. And all, you know, all I'm trying to say is I don't think that was you in that instance because they could have waited, potentially taken a chance, waited till the 10th round or the 11th round, but they did take you with five rounds still to go after. So you, they obviously saw something in you at the time. Phil, yeah, feels feel, feel good. At the same time, Edmonton always, I'm sorry, guys. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry you wasted that round. <laughs> well, hey, listen, they had a pretty good team back then, but we'll get into that in a few minutes. Uh, um, so tell me about – tell me uh, the the Sloven Bratislava. Uh, was that like – I'm assuming in, in uh, Czechoslovakia they had uh, – similar to all the different European countries where you had uh, different tier of leagues. Was that was that uh, league in, in uh, Czechoslovakia like the top league at the time? It is, yeah. So the, the Slovan Bratislava is, is, is the capital city of Slovakia, and Slovan Bratislava was one of the the teams in, in the league. When I played for Slovan Bratislava, we were kind of bottom feeders, despite of the the, the rich history of the club. We we uh, and and having good players, but there was no cohesion. You know, I mean, I uh, going going back, like I mean, when I when I came to Edmonton, I've seen never mind the the, the town level. Of, of the Oilers, I had a chance to witness, you know, in Edmonton. It was the the way everybody treated each other from, doesn't matter if you went on the first line or fourth line, and how they treated the training staff, the trainers, the, the security guards, like there was respect to all, all across that that uh, club. And it, it ended up just being one success story. Clearly being as talented as they were didn't hurt. But the culture of the club was unbelievable. Culture in Slovan Bratislava, and I was there, despite all the history, was very bad. I mean, the stars wanted to be stars. Everybody else 
was a uh, was a uh, a bottom feeder and get out of our way so we can get paid and it uh, translated on the ice. We were getting beaten by clubs that were uh, just you know cities of hundred thousand, eighty thousand people, but guys were pulling for each other. So uh, Bratislava as a club has a rich history uh, of hockey and success. Not when I was there though. The, the one year I was there it was was tough. And then uh, you ended up playing for the Czech team in World Juniors. Uh, you had a great tournament. You played seven games. You had five points. Uh, you had two goals in the gold medal game against Finland. Obviously, you couldn't do it on your own. And since I'm I'm mentioning it's the gold medal game, but I didn't say you had the gold medal, you, you won the silver medal, which still isn't too bad. What was that experience like? It was unbelievable. As I said, I was I was lucky enough, Joe, to to to, to get picked and uh, be there as an underage and. Uh, uh, clearly, we had a we had a really good team. Uh, the 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 reason we end up silver, so we beat like this one, this one. You're gonna love this as, as a Yankee. So we uh, we we beat Canada five one or like really soundly. We beat Russia. We beat Sweden. We absolutely got demolished. I think second game by the team US. Uh, it was Scott Young and Brian Leach were on that team along with a bunch of other players, mm-hmm. and they. That, on that night, they just had our number. So we lost two games the whole tournament. It was the one against U.S. and in the last game against Finland. All we needed to do is tie to win a gold medal, and we just we didn't pull it together. Finland had a good team. However, Canada still had a chance to win the gold if they beat Russia by more than, I think, four or five goals. And they were well on their way. Uh, I think they were up by two or three before the brawl started. So that's how we end up being celebrated. Because if Canada won, we would have finished fourth. Mm-hmm. Despite beating all the teams, Sweden, <laughs> Canada, Russia, all the, all the top dogs. Except the U.S., of course. Oh, yeah, they gave it to us hard, man. <laughs> <laughs> it was in Nitra. Oh, we got booed off the ice. I think it was the second or third game. It was, we were, yeah, we were going to get executed. <laughs> <laughs> now, you, I'm glad you brought up the uh, the brawl. So uh, obviously, anyone that you don't even have to be a big fan of World Juniors. Everybody that knows anything about it knows the punch up in Piastani. So was was it the kind of thing when other teams were playing? Could you actually go to the games and watch them? W- were you in attendance when that happened? No, that this is a, this is before the cell phones were around. Like we had no idea. So we're playing our game in Nitra, okay, and finish our game. Then we board the bus, and from Nitra to Pechtan is probably about one hour drive, maybe a little bit less. Mm-hmm. And the the final game was Russia against Canada in in Pechtan. So we're taking a bus, not having any clue what's going on there. Mm-hmm. We arrive in Pechtan, the parking lot is empty, the lights are out. <laughs> so we're, we're we're get off the bus, going inside. What's going on? Zamboni driver runs out. Oh my God! You should have seen. What happened here? And he kind of gave us the first first account of what, what, what took place. Mm-hmm. So we get back on a bus and went to the straight to the closing ceremony to dinner in a hotel. And of course, Russia and Canada are not part of it. Canadians, I guess Canadian boys and Canadian team got escorted from the from the ring to the hotel, was told to pack up and immediately leave Czechoslovakia to Austria. So within two hours, they were out of the country or something. Wow. Russia was not allowed to go to the final ceremony. 
So first time I seen anything about that game was years and years and years later, just watching clips on a, on a, on a TV, on a, on a YouTube. Yeah. And of course, I played with many players like Canadian guys, that boys, Everett Sanapas, yeah. and, and Scott Metcalf was my roommate, like tons of guys that, I, that were in that tournament because we're the same age. We played through our AHL career or, or across, across the pond. Yeah. And as we all know, that was all Russia's fault. Of course. Yeah, that no, whole thing yeah, was all Russia. Hey, dirty Russian. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So going back to what I was saying earlier about what, you know, history and things like that. So I want to take you back. Now, I'm when you when you were defecting, I was um, I think I was 16, 17 years old. And you hear in, in the States here, I hear the word defect. You don't you can read about it. OK, you can read about what it means and everything. And then you start hearing it with with the athletes coming over. I, I think I told you this. I really didn't grasp how I'm going to say severe, how severe the entire process was till I watched that documentary on the Stashney brothers. And, and it, it really went into detail. Uh, just it, it's really like covert James Bond type of stuff here. So if you don't mind, if you really could go into the whole story because this is to me this is fascinating the whole the whole process of you defecting i don't care how long it takes you to do it if you could please go through this because like i said this is fascinating to me no problem so as i mentioned earlier uh my relationship with the club at home really soured after the fact that i got drafted they found out accused me of wanting to defect which actually helped helped me put that idea in my head. I go, okay, well, this may be not a bad idea to, to, to follow through on. So that spring, uh, the World Junior Championships, one of the teammates of mine was playing in, was contacted by uh, guys that made a living of, of trying to smuggle guys out if possible and make some money off the clubs. Um, so when he came back from the from the World Championships, he, uh, he asked to go out for coffee and Clearly, it had to be done in, in, in secrecy because this is it's a big deal. I mean, we're still full full blown communist country, and he uh, he says to me, you know, Ivan, these guys contacted me, Edmonton, want you to come over. Are you interested in going? If you are, this is the phone number you gotta call, and uh, uh, they'll they'll meet you. So I took it, kind of pondered it for a couple of days, and I ended up calling the number. So. The guys that I, the guy who picked it up, set up a meeting with me in, in Hungary, uh, kind of initial meeting, and uh, I ended up going there with my dad. My dad was in in a no right from the get go. They were divorced with my mom, and he kind of he's responsible for what I became. I mean, he he led me to be an athlete my whole life. So we went we went down to uh, a town just outside of Bratislava, across the line and met these guys for lunch. So these guys had no contracts in their hands or nothing. Their sole goal was to get me from Czechoslovakia across the line to deliver me to Austria. And uh, I, after having a conversation with them, I decided I'm, I'm going to go for it. I'm going to do this. So... At the lunch we had, they go, well, we could probably broker this sometimes in the fall. This is, uh, I believe, either April or late March when the first meeting happened. And, of course, I have uh, final exams coming at my high school. 
and I haven't studied at all. So, so I told my, if this is gonna go down, it has to be going down before June. <laughs> and I think I, I made up a story. I have to go to the army or something to, to just to get out of any studying. So so they said, okay, no problem. We'll we'll contact you. So they contacted me again. That meeting ended. We settled on meeting in Budapest uh, on May 17th. I'm, I'm, I'm having the timelines. I think it was May 17th. Yeah, May 17th. And uh, I go back to Czechoslovakia, live my life. Nobody knows about it except my dad and, and me. And, uh, you know, carry on for about not a month and a half, two months. And then uh, eventually... The day comes, and as it comes, you know, like this is a long time to sit on something like this. It's a big deal. I'm, I'm, I'm not quite 19 yet. I'm still 18. I'm turning 19 in June. Uh, I'm, I'm carrying on with the life. And, and when the date comes, night before, I took my mama and my brother out for dinner. I, I just uh, felt like this is going to be probably the last time I'm going to see them for quite some time, if not for years, maybe forever. I'm, I'm leaving communist country. So... We go out for dinner, and my mom didn't, you know, she probably suspected something, but she didn't know. I couldn't tell her. I was worried that if I did tell my mom, uh, she probably would compromise my plan because she would, you know, be on my mom, like, yep. you know, she would either rob me out or, or, or stop, try to stop me somehow. Yeah. We have a dinner. Next morning, I get up, pack up my little brown bag, Alida's bag, and I, I'm leaving. I'm looking back. He lived in a ground floor apartment. I seen her in the window, and I'm going, Fuck, man. Like, I mean, this is the last time I see my mom. I kind of wait. I, I made up a story. I have to go to study for my final exam. Irony of it. I'm trying to get out of Slovakia <laughs> because I don't want to do the final exams. And I tell her, I can't. I have too many distractions here between hockey, my friends. I'm, I'm, I'm 18 now, so I'm, I'm starting to see girls. So I just I need to go study. Uh, and I told her, I'm going to, to Hungary. I had money at that time because I was really playing professional hockey. Like It, it wasn't probably watching. So... I board 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 the train and uh, end up in Budapest at a restaurant. I think it was one o'clock or something. We're supposed to meet at the place. I get off the train station, catch a cab, go go to this uh, restaurant where I'm supposed to meet my pickup, my 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 contact. I sit down, Joe. It's about ten minutes past the meeting time, and at this point, I'm like, "Fuck, man!" Like I I have done everything I, I i basically committed my life to defecting from czechoslovakia i have not studied i told f off the couple people that i shouldn't have in, in a club and these guys not here what's going on man did i got stressed you know i got stood up or what well 15 minutes into it this guy walks up joe like i right out of the james bond movie i never this guy was not on any of these meetings walks up my table goes you even I go, yeah, I'm Ivan. Good. Sits down at the table, just relax. We're going to have a, you know, a bit of a uh, coffee or a little meal, and we're going we're gonna to go. So we're sitting down. There's not much talk, not much chat going on. About 20, 30 minutes later, we get up. He goes, okay, let's go. We go outside, and uh, he takes me to another two or three places, I guess, tried to shake a tail there. Anybody was following us. These guys had it. They were professionals. So we ended up going to two or three other places, uh, having a drink. Then he, he asked me, he goes, I want you to take these two pills, or pill or two, I can't remember if it was one or two. 
I said, what is it? He goes, yeah, it's just so you relax. And at this point, I'm so deep. I go, what am I going to do? How am I going to back out of this? Like, I mean, I'm already in Budapest for three hours, two hours. I've, I'm, I'm prepared. So I took the pills. We, we leave the last place, walk outside. Uh, uh, car pulls on Mercedes. It's a diplomatic car, of course. So he goes, this is, you know, this is, you're getting taken over here. You jump in here and uh, we're good. So I, I sit in the car, we, we drive off, we drive off from Budapest, driving towards Austria, towards Vienna. So the guy's not saying much. I mean, I don't blame him. Like, why, why would he want to talk to me? So we're driving. I don't know. It's not that long from Budapest to Vienna, to the Austrian border. Um, if it's an hour, a couple hours, I don't know, maybe even less. But my mind is racing nonstop. And they didn't tell me that I was not going to be sitting in a car crossing the border. So just before the border, I don't know, maybe 15, 20 kilometers, this guy pulls off the road and goes into this secluded area with the trees. And I'm going, fuck, here we go. What's going to happen to me now? Yeah, what kind of curveball is this? So he stops the car, gets out, goes, get out, and then opens the trunk. He goes, you got to go in the trunk. He goes, fuck it, I didn't know I'm going in the trunk. Because... Once again, you know, thoughts are going through your head. What's going to happen? And then jump in the trunk. What are you going to freaking dump me something? Like, I, you just you just right. don't know. Right. But I, once again, um, I'm in deep. I'm neck deep, balls deep. So I, I go, okay, let's go. So I jump in the trunk. He gives me a blanket. And he goes, you have to be really quiet for the next 30 to, 30 to 60 minutes. Um, not, a, not a sound. Okay. I'm going to the, gonna go to the border. And I guess at that time, Hungary and Austria had a much more relaxed relationship at the border than, than Slovakia, Czechoslovakia had. Like, we had barbed wires still and then dogs and everything else. So, in I, in I go in the trunk, get in the car, sure enough, 45 minutes later, trunk opens, and I'm in Austria. I get back in the car, we drove into the Vienna, and uh, in Vienna, um, he keeps my bag, we go and meet these guys outside and on a, on a square and, and Barry Fraser was a, was a chief scout comes out looks at me checks validates at me he goes yeah that's me that's any good so they go do their thing you know pay up whatever they are do and uh, the rest is history I mean, I mean now I'm in Vienna uh, which is literally Joe 45 minute drive from Bratislava to yeah. Vienna now with the highway yeah. separated out of time with a bit of barbed wire and, and fence and, and two, like it was a two different worlds, right? Yeah. So we're in Vienna for uh, for a little bit, straight to the hotel, sign a contract, sign, 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 same as Pabonka. I signed the, probably the worst professional contract in the history of hockey. Six <laughs> years, three three years and three, three plus three, so three years. And then Edmonton, if they want them to exercise their option, they have three more years. But at this point, you know, I'm, I'm young. I just I just want just, to just hear it. Just get it out of my face. I, I, I just, I'm just happy to be here. Mm-hmm. And uh, to be fair, like Edmonton was taking a chance too. I mean, like like big chance. Maybe money wasn't huge to, to get me out of that stuff, but uh, they got me out. They, they, they got me to the freedom, what I wanted to do. And uh, We spent about seven to ten days in, in Austria and then fly to Edmonton. And Edmonton was playing Philly in the, in the, in the Stanley Cup Finals. Mm-hmm. And, and Barry Fraser, you know, he already had, like, I think, two or three rings on his hands. 
He goes, another one coming. Philly was down. Make a long story short, we make make the trip to Edmonton and the series is tied 3-3. They're playing game seven Edmonton, in Edmonton. And I'm there. Mm-hmm. So I am literally within 10 to 12 days from being in Slovakia, riding buses and, and you know being just a regular guy in communist country, in the mix of a Stanley Cup final with all the hoopla, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm getting introduced in the press conferences. This is a guy we got in here. He's going to be a big star. And, and Edmonton, I got the I got the skate with the team the day before as a, as a pregame, you know, not pregame skate before the game, but mm-hmm. uh, practice. Yeah, like all these stars, like it was it was surreal, like it was it was unbelievable. So that's that was my trip, the 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 whirlwind of ten to twelve days, twenty no, it was ten days exactly because I think it was seventeen we left and twenty seven arrived in in Canada. I gotta check my old passport, but I'm pretty sure that's what it is. Now ten day segment. All right, so now you're telling me the story, and when the guys that I'm picturing, I'm assuming you saw Rocky Four, right? Yeah. All right, so I'm I'm picturing the guy in the Mercedes that's bringing Rocky and Paulie to that secluded area that Paulie <laughs> calls him Count Dracula. He's in the Mercedes with the chains on the tires. That guy, that's who I'm picturing you're meeting up with to take you out of the country. The the, the, the guy that was driving is actually very very uh, petite guy. Like he was. Yeah. Asian, I went to Chinese, Mongolian. It was a, yeah. he was a he was a Asian guy, and he wasn't. But the guy that met me in, in Budapest, yeah. So I would not put put it behind him because if he's gonna go good, it's good. If not, he's gonna be floating down the Danube River somewhere. I well, <laughs> yeah, because you're saying these are people that make a living doing this, so they're making a living. I get they're doing. It's a, an illegal activity, so they're not advertising in the Bratislava yellow pages or in you know in the the back of the hockey news. So this is all like covert. Da- it's really dangerous stuff, and that and that's where like my respect for you is is immense because this is this is real life stuff, and uh, it's dangerous. No, one hundred percent. You know what? I've been told not to say anything about it for years and years and years by Edmonton. Clearly, they don't want to be associated with that. But right. that's the way they were be able to. And you know what? I didn't feel bad. I didn't feel that I, I, I was hard done. Yeah. It was my decision of legal age at age of eighteen, and uh, I'm I'm grateful. Like I have a great life. The NHL career never panned out, but I'm I'm living in Canada. I'm a Canadian citizen. So Edmonton Oilers have been really instrumental of me having the life I have doesn't matter how they've done it you know and I, I know they were hoping to benefit from it as well it didn't pan out on their end but certainly did on my end so I if if, if I ruffled any feathers by telling the story then I'm sorry but uh, I have no hard feelings about you know them doing it it, it was it allowed me to live life that I, I, I live now for sure now, on the flip side of that, though, you're you're starting this new life, but you're leaving your family behind. You're leaving both your parents. I think you had, I read, two brothers and a sister. Um, and at the time, you have no idea if things are ever going to change. You may never see them again. So, And you're only 18, so it's not like you're a 30, 35-year-old man. You can rationalize this stuff. You have an 18-year-old brain. It had to be mixed emotions. Joe, when I got dropped off, in uh, Edmonton, uh, four men, Coliseum, the old Coliseum, Northland Coliseum there in Edmonton. Yeah. 
uh, there was a hotel right across the street, and I'm, I got dropped off there. Edmonton was just still coming back from Philly, and uh, he goes, they just they just dropped me off. There you are, no lick of English, and I'm I'm, I'm there, and it's not a nice area. Like the, that area, it might be developed now. Was just uh, there was a there was a racetrack, horse racetrack, and 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 rink, and kind of just very block, you know. Uh, so I'm in this hotel, and needless to say, the ten days of tension in your mind, like it's just mixed. Your, your thoughts are going nonstop. Now you're here. Now you're in Canada, in Edmonton, and I'm in my hotel room, realizing I don't speak a lick of English. I cannot go back. I mean, I've never. I'm, I'm preparing exactly what you said. Never gonna see my mom, my brother, my sister, like anybody. None of my family, none of my friends. I'm here, and then it dawned on me. It was, it was, it was like, wow. Okay, uh, God help me here, man. Like I gotta, I, I need some help. Mm-hmm. Luckily, like I came at the time where the next morning team arrives. I'm at the ring, and I'm getting, you know. You know, you're getting pulled this way, that way. Go and go here. Press conference. Skate here. Go pick up your whole new gear because you're gonna skate. We're gonna showcase you. You know, and, and so I got busy right away. Right. Then Edmonton wins the cup, and that turns into celebrations for for seven to ten days. So once again, I I like it kind of took my mind off all that sad stuff, leaving mm-hmm. and integrated me into uh, a North American life and, and and happiness right away. Was it fake happiness? Paid perhaps, but I needed that yeah. rather than staying in a room. Sometimes when you know, not knowing what's gonna happen and waiting to, for camp to start in, in four months, so allowed me to make some friends right away. You know, some contacts in Edmonton. So it was good. It was uh, other than that first night in in the forum in, I didn't have a chance to regret anything, and I didn't even regret it. I just it just really the the weight of the situation. Finally hits you when you when you there. It goes, dude, you're freaking eighteen. You here on your own. You better get lucky and, and make make a living out of this crap that you got into. Yeah, and and uh, did I read correctly that your your sister was an athlete as well? She's a tennis player, and she was playing with the the Red Army team in Czechoslovakia. Is that right? At the time, uh, not not Red Army. She was she was playing. Yeah, she was quite a good tennis player. She she played uh, uh, in Bratislava. Uh, like she, she, I don't know how how she got in the ranking, but she ended up moving to Germany as well. She defected and went to Germany like a year or two years later, okay. and uh, uh, played there for quite a bit. Played, tried to play around around the you know on the, on, the, on the circuit, but she got tired of it. That's that is even lonelier life than, than being on a team. You know, right. like you you're traveling by yourself. Mm-hmm. So I think she hung it up pretty quick. Uh, we're not very close. I mean, yeah. because of the distance and all stuff, yeah. but. Uh, she didn't have it easy either. So, no, I was just one. The reason why I ask is because now you know my story, and that's not what this interview is about. But when, when stuff was developing in my story, and I pursued a lawsuit against New York City and the police, my sister was a police officer at the time. So my one of my biggest concerns was was she going to get any blowback being a police officer? And the newspaper article I read mentioned your sister being, and they said the Red Army Tennis Club in Czechoslovakia. So I was wondering if, if based on you defecting, if she faced any anything additional because if she was in that, you know, like a government program. No, no. They, they, I, I think <clears throat> only my mom and dad, they both got separately held into the police stations. Mm-hmm. Uh, clearly, there was a big... 
mystery. Like, how did he leave? How does the bar person leave a barbed wire country? So there was rumors the helicopter came to get me and all that stuff. But clearly, uh, both of them, but my mom didn't know. Mm-hmm. And my dad, being actor, he put up a, put out a good act. So so <clears throat> there was no repercussions mm-hmm. in any, any, any form. They didn't get jailed. Or they were both in, in arts industry, so they, I don't even think they got blackballed. Like my mom did her thing, and uh, and my dad did his thing. So my sister was not affected by it. I don't I, I don't think she never mentioned anything, and ended up leaving herself. Like year yeah. or two years later, she was in Germany, defected. So, so you're in Edmonton now. Uh, <clears throat> you're on the second best dynasty of the '80s. I mean, the distant second best. I mean, there's some good guys there. They're not the Islanders, and that's okay. Uh, <laughs> You know, that's they couldn't they, they couldn't win four in a row. That's okay. You're on the second best dynasty in the eighties. And now you, you were mentioning about how dysfunctional your team in Bratislava was and, and the night and day difference between the culture there and the culture in Edmonton. I gotta know, you're an eighteen year old kid and now you're walking into a, a dressing room and it's a who's who of hockey legends. It's it's Gretzky, it's Messier, it's Curry, it's Paul Coffey, it's Grant Fiore. Those are just your upper echelon guys. Even their Second-tier guys are superstars on other teams. As an 18-year-old kid, what what is that like? Joe, it was a, it was an eye-opener for me. I mean, I I came in with uh, uh, pretty good confidence. I mean, I'm, I'm as I said, I've, I've, from the age of 16, you know, I kind of overachieved and I was, I was achieving all the all, all the goals I wanted to. But getting on the ice with these guys uh, day before. Uh, their, their their final game, as you said, it was never like I like Gretzky, Messi, Giannis, all the names you name, but Mike Krushelnitsky, Craig McTavish, Dave Hunter, like all these guys, I'm watching him. Mike Krushelnitsky was this imposing figure again. He was I think playing third line or fourth line maybe even. <clears throat> you couldn't get the puck off him. And it, it was it was it was uh, eye eye opening for me to see. Where do you need to get? It was it was clear to me right away. I I don't know how I'm gonna be slotting in here. How how can I penetrate the lineup here? Even at the age of eighteen and the confidence I had, <clears throat> excuse me, it it was uh it was insane. Like the, the level of talent on every line they had, and <clears throat> what was the biggest thing that I I didn't appreciate at the time is the acceptance of the roles that everybody had. And I, unfortunately, I never had understanding of that until I almost was out of hockey. But in order to have a dynasty, you have to adapt and, and, and uh, kind of own the role that you've given. And so despite all the talent that these guys had, they, they, they were fully aware in order for a team to succeed, they need to be able to play their four minutes, six minutes, or eight minutes the best as they can to contribute, despite knowing that they could be a, a you know, twenty-minute guy on another team. Yeah. So, yeah. Did you ever uh, put one past Grant Fiore or Andy Mogan practice? Yeah, in practice, I was a great practice player. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I got. And I want to ask you about two guys because I'm sure. Like I said, I, I had to ask you about those guys, but of course I got to ask you about two guys who I was I was still am big fans of. So you're walking into the locker room, and there's one guy there, Kevin McClellan, 
one of the most underrated tough guys ever. And then there's a monster there named Marty McSorley. So tell me what your impressions were of those two guys. You know, I'll tell you a great story about them. Like Marty McSorley, nicest guy. I mean, he is a guy that is, a, you know, just, just down to earth nice. Mac McClellan, yeah. he is cut from a different cloth. But he is a great teammate, and everything he does was to try to make team better. So I'll tell you a story about uh, Mac and I. So, so I go my first year, get down, sent down to uh, the minors. After all, this is my first first interaction to the team. I, I'm down in the AHL, Nova Scotia. I don't really do much. I hurt my knee for about two months, and I'm in and out of lineup my rookie year. Um, I think I scored 13 goals, uh, not many points. Like, really tough learning experience. So I come back to Edmonton during the playoffs, and kind of hang around. Like once again, they 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 used to bring guys back to be on the team to see what it takes to be a part of a team. And season ends, and we end up going out one night as a team, like you know, a bunch of guys. And I'm we were in a bar, and it's about eleven thirty. Like you know, we all had a few beers in us, and Matt just starts laying into me, McLean, like ruthlessly. And you. You piece of shit! What are you gonna? How are you gonna make this thing? You are shit! You know what did you do? And I like I at that time I didn't know where he was heading with it. So like I'm 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 19. I'm just you know I'm I'm, and I'm I feel like I'm 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 trying to be part of this group. And there's a guy just just berating me, but in his way, in his mind, he was trying to light me up. Mm-hmm. Joy, this is a true story. I remember Kelly Berger stepping in because I'm I'm I'm, I'm almost I have to, I'm I'm literally. Tears in my eyes, yeah. but I'm angry. I, like, I'm going to fight this guy. He would have killed me there. You know, I was, I didn't know how to handle myself at that time. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, but Bucky steps in and kind of says, come here, Ivan. And he puts me in the cab and I, I send, send me home, sends me home. I'm going home in a cab and I'm crying. I'm going like, what, 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 I come here to, to be, you know, yeah. shown this. So the whole summer. I'm lifting weights. I, I'm, I'm like, I'm, I, I dedicate my whole summer to get stronger. I think I gained, I don't know, probably 15, 20 pounds of muscle. And I'm going to, in my mind, I'm going to kill this guy. Like, I'm, I'm going to go after Mac Lowen. That's, that's my... <laughs> so, about three months later, it's August. I'm just two weeks before camp or two weeks before camp. We're out, you know, guys getting back to town, even a bar. And I see McClellan across the bar. And we lock eyes. And I'm like, I, like this is it. Like, we may do it right here. <laughs> And he's like, I come here. So like nothing has happened. Mm-hmm. And comes in and goes, I hope you have a great camp and all that stuff. Like it completely disarmed me. Yeah. At the same time, I knew from guys that I talked to later, that was his way, getting the best out of the players, is to get under your skin. And uh, we became friends. I mean, he, he I heard my knee first first regular season game uh, in, in the minors. Edmonton flew me back, so I had a chance to spend the whole year with Edmonton that year. And Mark and I, Spend a lot of time after the games and kind of kind of mentored me. Like I mean, he, he was a wild one, tough as nails. Certainly not everybody's cup of tea, but uh, uh, a great player too. Yeah. He was not just a fighter, man. He had a couple, two or three games I watched. He was he was so fundamentally strong and positionally and everything else. So fond memories of both of them. Yeah. So now, um, before you went to training camp the next year, you know, there's a lot of let's call it paperwork. The Oilers have to cover their bases here. 
Obviously, I'm sure they want you to play in Nova Scotia. But I was reading articles where it said they had also, and I don't know how serious this was, but I guess in the covering the bases, uh, talking to some of the junior teams out there. So I know that um, <clears throat> they they had initially, this is what I read, uh, thought about uh, not sending you to Regina, but I guess in, the, in a worst case scenario. But also <clears throat> Saskatoon and Seattle were interested in you. I don't know if you're aware of all this, but they were interested in you. Seattle actually ended up with your rights. They listed you because they had a worse record than Saskatoon. And I also read that your OHL rights were held by the Belleville Bulls, who had an owner that you knew. Are you aware of all this? No, none of that. Okay. Uh, The Belleville owner was Wayne Gretzky. Wow. Okay. Yeah, so this was all, this is all the stuff that I read. So I, and like I said, I don't think they ever wanted you to play junior, I guess, because you still had, you could have technically played as an overager. So the Western League teams were actually not, not bidding. They want to list you just in case you end up down in the league. So... So Saskatoon and Seattle both wanted you, but Seattle ended up listing you because they had a worse record, and Belleville had you on their list. So, uh, but and Belleville also had an in, I guess, with Gretzky there. I I, I knew that's that's that awesome. Gretzky wanted me on his team. I love it. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I uh, in the contract that I signed, there was a three-way contract. It was a uh, Kamloops Blazers, Nova Scotia Oilers, and Edmonton Oilers, or you know, whatever. You know, you want to put it backwards. Yeah. So I was 19. I could have played them two more years of junior. Right. Mm-hmm. I was not. I was not actually. If I wasn't European, I would not be able to play AHL my first year because I was only 19. Correct. Mm-hmm. And listening to the interview of Dave Marcinishin, I think Kamloops at the time was coached uh, by Ken Hitchcock. Yes. Mm-hmm. I had, it was probably the worst thing that happened to me. I, mean, I wasn't aware of anything else you said about Seattle and, and Belleville and, and all that stuff. That was beyond me. As, as a kid, you want to play the highest level possible you can. Right. So the the OHL or a, uh, Western Hockey never came into conversation. I got sent down to AHL. Right. But in retrospect, what Dave Marcinishin, uh mentioned in, in his interview, that junior year, would have probably given me some understanding and prepared me for life as a professional. Like, what does it take to be a professional? Uh, responsibilities on and off the ice, and and all the all the stuff that as a as a nineteen year old kid you need. I, I I was just released on the world like a wild man. Mm-hmm. Here is money. Go ahead. No no supervision of any kind. No no billets. Don't have to be in school. Just uh, so I wish. It would happen. It would have happened differently mm-hmm. now, but at the time, I was happy just to be pro. I'm a pro now. I play AHL, right? So, and and if we could go back in time, maybe you end up in Seattle. You play against Marcinish, and you're taking a run at him, right? Without knowing that what he was going to do to me later, for sure. <laughs> <laughs> so when you go into training camp the next year, obviously there's only one team that can do this every year. There's only one team in the league that goes into training camp the next year as the champions. So it's not that you're gunning for a championship. Now you want to stay at the top. What is that like? Because you, you, you got there during the final the year before. Now you're seeing the team prep from the start. And like you, you talked about the culture already. What is that like going into training camp with the Stanley cup champions? Well, it was, uh, it was, it was good and bad at the same time because you're going into the camp knowing 
that the likelihood of you making the team is very minuscule. I mean, like, I mean during my time in Edmonton uh, system, I think the only guys I've seen making the team was, was Kelly Bertberger and uh, Mark Lamb. Um, everybody else, doesn't matter what draft choice they were, we, everybody was destined to be in AHL and, and uh, either traded off eventually when they couldn't, couldn't make the team or get out of the hockey, period. So you have this pride of being part of an organization that is a current dynasty at the same time you're, you know that you're not breaking in. Like, it's just, it's not happening. Uh, unless somebody gets hurt, which you don't wish on anybody. And and uh, and even when that happened, Edmonton had a knock of making trades, you know. Like, there was quite a few good players, even better, like better than me, playing in the AHL. Uh, and Edmonton wasn't doing great. And then they made this huge trade where they brought uh, uh, Joe Murphy, Graves. Like, I'm like three or four guys. So, basically, anybody in the minors just got slapped in the head saying, dude, you just, you're staying down there. Forget about getting up. Yeah. Uh, one guy that was in that camp, and, and I, I'm going to – it's a guy I want to ask you about because he's – I guess he's a U.K. legend. And I don't know a lot about him, but I hear his name constantly when I listen to um, podcast U.K. guys and everything. Um Tony Hand was in that camp with you. What uh, can you tell me a little bit about him? And I guess is is he really the Wayne Gretzky of of the UK? Joe, I'm, I, I've been fortunate enough to play for many many years. That kid has been gifted a God gift. I mean, he is honestly, given the circumstances where he grew up, where he learned the trade, his vision of the game, understanding of it, is is. Uh, something that is very very special so he he certainly i don't know if he would have made it to the nhl if he stuck around because the size was a big thing at the time how big was he he wasn't he, tony tony's probably about five five ten five eleven at most and uh when uh, i played with him it was maybe 185 mm-hmm. and for those and for those who don't know tony was born in scotland right yes okay okay born and raised uh, you know that's what I find amazing because, like myself, guys that like most of the guys in, in the pro hockey have either came from Canada, U.S., Finland, Sweden, where, where hockey is a religion. You know, you're on the ice six, seven times a week. You have great coaching. You, everything is is uh, based around just you know bettering your skills. In in Britain, these guys were skating in the evenings. They were public skating, just just without a stick sometimes, maybe two or three times a week. So, so to get to the level that he got to, and 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 uh, really, he played. I played with him in Britain uh, when the level wasn't great, and level got really good. I would say as good as AHL at one point when it became ISL, ISL Super League, and his performance did not suffer. He just kept rising with the level of competition. And still shown and, and led the league, and then he was on the own. So, yeah, definitely special, special talent. So, you mentioned that you listened to the Marcinician interview. Thank you very much. So, you're familiar with what I like to do. I like to, to play name association. I like to give you some names and tell me what comes to mind. Um, the, the first guy I want to ask you about Nova Scotia is someone who I know is probably, I would imagine, probably still a very close friend. Someone who uh, I, I would say, smart move by your part, becoming friends with this guy as a rookie in the American league. Um, and, and I think he really was the guy uh, 
may be responsible for the influx of the enforcers coming over to the UK. I think he was the first, and then there was just that flood of guys maybe to combat him, and that's Mike Ware. We all have that one person in your life that comes in and uh, somehow influences your life in a good way and positive way. I was fortunate enough to meet Mike, my first camp in Edmonton, even before camp. Like we had a Rockies camp uh, the summer I defected in June. And of course, I don't speak any English. And there is a 25 guys in this preseason camp evaluation of Rockies that have a chance to maybe make the team or not. And Mike is part of this team, uh, this camp. So he sees me, and he takes liking to me. Like, he sees this guy just sitting there, nodding his head like a donkey, because I don't know what we're going to be saying, and kind of takes me under his wing. That that following, you know, two months later, we, or three months later, we're in a real camp. We get assigned to uh, uh, Halifax, Nova Scotia. And, uh, of course, you gotta you got to pick your own place. you got to live by yourself now. We're all young. We were both rookies at the time. And he goes, I've come here, like, we're living together. Like, we're going to find a spot together. Scott Metcalf was another guy, so three of us. I was going to ask you about him, too, so you can incorporate him, too. So we ended up renting a place together, and, and, and Mike and I were inseparable uh, pretty much most of our career. I was fortunate not to play. I think I counted it was like maybe eight years out of uh, 18 or even nine. We played on the same team. How long, How many times or how often does that happen and you get to play with your best friend for 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 that many years so just the salt of the earth you know comes from for a a good nice nice family with the the, you know multiple kids with good values and one of the greatest teammates you can ever ask for i mean he uh just like mike mcwilliam like most of the top guys i ever played with i i don't in fact i don't know one that i did not like right are there for you you know sunshine or rain that they're 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 on your side so mike is definitely uh uh something that i'm, I'm very 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 fortunate that he was a part of my life and he still is so. um what about scott metcalf he was another guy i was going to ask you about matter matter yeah matter was a first rounder and then and scotty and i we only played one year he got traded to, to uh buffalo i believe yeah, buffalo. yeah, yeah, yeah. and then he became so he, a rochester legend yeah yeah he was a. Uh, you know, once again, I mean, that, that's a, it's a tough story because he, you get drafted in the first round. First time I've seen Matter or Matter was in the World Championships playing against him when he was playing for Team Canada. Then we played on the same team for a little bit. And uh, uh, just, you know, being part of the the, the, the grinder of, of an HL, of, of what comes up, you do, you get fortunate enough, lucky enough, somebody gives you a hand and reaches out and, and gives you that little push, time on a dance floor where where you can shine and earn your spot, or you get pushed down and, and, and play in the minors in, in this hope of making it that never comes through. And he was a victim of that. You know, he, uh, he had size, he had skill. It just, I don't know, for whatever reason, he just didn't find, he didn't find the right place at the right time. That's what you got to have to get a break a little bit, right? Uh, another guy who uh, you'd end up with also in the Quebec organization is Dean Hopkins. You know, Dean, I have a, I have a soft spot for Dean. Dean was my, uh, my vet in, in my first year in Halifax. And really, I had, you know, coming from Europe, I, I, I 
I was kind of displaced dog. I didn't know what I'm supposed to do out there on the ice. And Dean showed interest. He was assistant player, assistant coach, and showed me how to work the boards, how to play the board, how to protect yourself on the board so you don't get knocked out. Uh, he, he was really, really, really good vet for me. So, And he ended up playing, actually being a coach when I was at Nordiques again years later with Clement Jablain. Yeah. And I have nothing but respect for Dean Hopkins and Clement Jablain. Like Clem was one of the best coaches I played for. So, Well, we, when we get into uh, your Obviously, your famous story with uh, Halifax. I have a great co- uh, quote from Clement about the uh, the incident. Uh, another guy who you, who you'd uh, end up being a teammate with uh, in the Quebec organization, but you first were a teammate with him in Edmonton and Nova Scotia was Wayne Van Dorp. Dorpy. <laughs> so Dorpy, uh, yeah, Dorpy is a, is a good guy, but a great guy. Now we didn't start off on a great foot in the first camp in in Edmonton. I remember it was about day three or four, and they, you know, they those days there was no, you know, union didn't have much to say, so they basically did to us whatever they wanted to. They wanted to see who was gonna be able to uh, uh, walk after putting us to most grueling exercises and, and routine, you know, routines. So day four, it's in the morning. I think it's like six in the morning, and we're in the Coliseum coming from the stretch down uh, escalator that wasn't working. So everybody's walking pile in line, and I end up being in front of a dorper. And I can barely move my legs, man. Look, <laughs> and he shoves me down the stairs. So luckily, <laughs> luckily, like there was people around, so we kind of I get I get cushioned, and I turn around. We didn't have, we didn't have, didn't have fighting, but we arguing, pushing and shoving. And Norman Lacan breaks us up. So I'm going like I don't speak English. I mean, I'm just like what the fuck? Like what what is that? Could have broke my freaking neck. So where's the truth? Takes note note of that. <laughs> And the next scrimmage, the later on in the day, he strings him out and then, you know, has a really good fight with Dorper. And Dorper ends up, you know, getting cut. Mm-hmm. And uh, um, I didn't have much liking for Dorper mm-hmm. that camp or rest of the time because of this incident. Yeah. However, we became, we became teammates and again in, in, in Quebec and mm-hmm. uh, he got sent down and played and just kind of known each other. So yeah. clearly that incident doesn't define who he is. Right. But our beginning wasn't good. But... <laughs> But Dorpy was a, you know, he, he, it's a tough, he was in a tough position. That that job to fulfill, you know, you're putting everything on the line uh, for the team and then you get uh, either sent down or traded. So I I think that all those guys had gone through a really, really, really difficult time mm-hmm. uh, maintaining the, 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 being a great, great team guy, being positive and being a great enforcer. So... Yeah. I see still Dorpy once in a while. I, I think he's a, he's, a, he's a good guy. He was a good player, and uh, once again, you know, it's a it's it's a tough, tough, tough gig. And then uh, the last guy I want to ask you about is someone who you know you mentioned Scott Metcalf, and you mentioned the path that his path. And one of the things you said is you just find the right situation. Alan Mays, a guy similarly, wasn't a first round pick, but he found the right situation. He ended up in the Washington organization, ended up having a great NHL career. But, you know, when, I'm sure when he was with Nova Scotia, he's playing behind guys like McSorley and um, McClellan. Even on his own team, he got Bucky down there in Nova Scotia and, and Van Dorp. Alan May, I mean, there's just a ton of guys here. What do you remember about playing with Alan? Mazer, I got lots of time for Mazer. We lost, completely lost contact with each other. But I think that uh, he's uh, another guy. That I, he he's from Edmonton. Mm-hmm. So when season ended, he got traded to uh, Edmonton, were in in uh, Cape Breton, and that's where we met. Mm-hmm. 
And uh, the summer in Edmonton, when uh, before he got traded again or left on his own stuff to a different team, we spent the whole summer going out, having lots of fun, going to the lake and, and working out and talking about a guy that was, you know, uh, punching above his weight. Like, he wasn't a very big guy, man. Like, I mean, he was my size, maybe even maybe even smaller than me, mm-hmm. but all heart and, and, and the dedication to the craft. And, uh, yeah, Mazer, I, 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 somehow I hope I run into him again in one day because at the time, having guys like that around, like, like Alan May, Mike Ware, and, and, and Mike McWilliam, like all these like, good good friends and, and good good models, right? Yep. It, was, it was awesome. Did, and I, I know this uh, This was more of a thing. I remember when uh, the Devils brought over the Russians, you know, uh, Fetisov, Starkov, Kasatonov. They were, were always, uh, I think they were accepted by their own teammates, but I know they faced a lot of stuff on the ice from the opponents. And uh, and I, I again, I think, I think you being from Czechoslovakia, it's not as, let's just say, bad, you know, in air quotes, as having a Russian come over. Um, did you ever face any of that stuff on the ice and anything from any opponents, uh, you know, about you coming over being a European? You know, I did, but I, it, it wasn't like everybody was facing something, yeah. you know, like, yeah. he, like, like back then there was a, there wasn't a whole culture yet and all that stuff. So there was a lot of shit flying off the benches and on the ice that yeah, yeah. today mm-hmm. people would scratch their heads. Right. And, uh, the fact that somebody called me a commie and all yeah. that stuff did really couldn't take it seriously. Right. You, you just moved on. I mean, I, right. I I I I think I adapted pretty quick. I mean, I was chucking elbows there and, and tr- tried to headhunt myself and, and saying stuff best as I could. So it, it was a junkyard. It was it was a it was a bad den. It was a prison yard that that league, you know. And, and uh, a lot of things were said that are not being said now. So no, I didn't right. take offense to it. Well, it's funny how you talk about adapting. Um, and I got this story from your uh, from your interview with Mac. Uh, your first AHL game, I believe, was in Springfield, was it not? No, it was at home. I know where he headed with his. Okay, so Halifax. one of your first AHL games, I think, was in Springfield. And one of the – Mick Fakoda, one of my favorite players, and I love Mick as a person. And, and as far as playing goes, the thing I like best about Mick is Mick brought his Western Hockey League attitude with him to the NHL. And one of the things that anyone that follows the Western League, especially back then, you absolutely positively didn't even think about crossing that red line. But maybe that wasn't the way in Czechoslovakia. So could you kind of talk about uh, talk about the uh, warm up in Springfield? It actually was in Halifax. That to, to make me matters worse, it was my home, it was our home. It was a home game. Okay. It was an opener, season opener, and Springfield came to Halifax. Okay. Okay. So, so we're on the ice, and I'm I'm just as happy as I can be. Like you know, you don't have to wear a helmet. I'm I'm trying to go. You know, you have your hair, and you you're looking in the stands and girls. And in in Europe, there is no boundaries. There is no like this is an electric fence. Do not cross the red line, or you're gonna be dead. Mm-hmm. So we get on the ice, and uh, it's real official pro game. Never mind the exhibition games. So I'm I'm out there zigzagging across the red line back and forth. And Mick might be watching this, goes like, this is on his watch. He goes like, his job is to make sure nobody crosses that line. He's the, he's the border guard. Mm-hmm. And uh, so he's probably just thinking, what is this guy doing? Is he trying to add me on or something? That must be going through his mind. Meanwhile, I have no idea mm-hmm. that I'm doing anything wrong. So I hadn't found out 
Yeah, as they say, fuck around and you find out. <laughs> <laughs> so next thing I know, I'm getting freaking. He hammers me from you know from back. I, I I'm on the ice. I go, what the? He goes, what the fuck are you doing? I'm gonna kill you. <laughs> and, and dude, this guy look. He didn't look 21. I don't know how old he was then. That, to me, that's like a lumberjack. Man, he had a like, almost beard like you. Yeah. And I'm, I'm like, fuck. Like this is what I signed up for. <laughs> so I get up. You know, like the like man in you has to have some response. We, I don't. We don't fight, but right. there's some pushing and shoving. Of course, everybody bunches in. He gets broken up. Nothing happens. Like there's no brawl. Like you know, pregame brawl. We go to the locker room, and I'm like. He just kind of dawned on me, like, this is, no, no, the buddy, like, you, you got to change your, your view of how things are going to be going this year, because this is going to be a normal occurrence. Yeah. And uh, sure enough, my, my buddy, whereas he took a note of that, they making him fought first shift or second shift right away, got it out of the way. And, and from that point on, I knew Red Line is a sort of a iron curtain. You don't go there <laughs> unless you're on a mission to call shit. <laughs> And knowing knowing Mick like I do, I'm, I wish I was there. I'm trying to picture him watching you. Like, I'm sure he's doing his own warm-up, and I'm sure out of the corner of his eye he sees you going over the red line, probably goes over to, like, Rod Dahlman or Dale Henry and be like, who the fuck is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> and then that was it, and it was on. So uh, I love that story. I have oh, yeah. Yeah, it was, it was fun, yeah. Nick, Nick, yeah, Nick, Nick introduced me to fucking North America, man. This is how it's done here, but don't cross that fucking red line. <laughs> now, um, as I mentioned earlier, you didn't fight a ton, but you did fight, and I uh, I only found a record of one fight that year. Uh was with a guy on the Fredericton Express named Ian Kidd. Do you remember that fight? I, I do remember some of it. I yeah. mean, it was... Uh, it was a uh, as the season was going on forward, you know, you, you as you said, as I said mentioned earlier, like it is a is it a it's a junkyard there, yeah. so you need to get some ground. And um, I think Ian must have maybe uh, hacked me or something. So we we got into it. Clearly, my fighting skill level wasn't there, so I don't know how it looked. There was no video replays yet. I don't think I I never seen the fight, but I I, I didn't get hurt. I don't know if I. If I punched him, you know, he just kind of did the windmill, yeah. uh, buried your chin in and then swung for the best and uh, came back to the bench. Guys were pumped because, you know, here is a 19-year-old kid from Czechoslovakia, a father guy. And Ian, Ian was not even designated fighter. He right, was just a right. player. So it was, like, it, was a, it was a perfect match. You know, I mean, I wasn't fighting a tough guy, but, you know, coming back with my checklist in my hand. <laughs> so, <laughs> so, yeah, that was the first first kind of scrap and it, it never never became my forte i was i was asked to play uh hard and finish the checks and throughout my north american career maybe there was a i don't know maybe six seven times i got into altercations not much not, well, not I, I got a few of them but now you played in in halifax so now this whole year is your learning experience could you tell the difference when you played the other maritime teams as opposed to say going down and playing the teams in new england because one of the things I love the best about the American League, especially back then, and even you know later on, you're back in Halifax with the Citadels. Those maritime rivalries, even if it didn't translate to the big clubs, even if the big clubs weren't rivals, but those maritime teams, that was unadulterated hate. Of course, it was. Uh, it was too much yeah. to be honest with you. I think the economics of the league uh, dictated that you had to play each other 16 times and. Uh, you put a bunch of men 
in a situation like that where everybody's like everybody's not league with one goal to make it up. So there was not many nights off in the AHL. Like I mean, I found actually the exhibition games in NHL easier to play than any AHL game I was ever involved with because the the it was a dogfight just 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 to get noticed every game and you know not to lose your spot in lineup. So you have a chance to be looked at by the by the scouts. The maybe, maybe in your club or somebody else can pick you up. So there was a lot of hate, uh, and uh, I wish it, they they spread out more. I really enjoyed going down to Springfield and and, and Baltimore and, and Adirondack. It was a nice you know breath of fresh air like playing different teams, tough teams, but it was needed. And and as you said earlier, talking about the the big club up in Edmonton, a guy like Ian Kidd, he's he's on Fredericton, so he's actually when his brass comes down. Now they're a dual affiliate. I think they had Vancouver and Quebec. So he, if someone's coming down to watch that team, oh, even if he's not property of one and maybe another, you guys down in Nova Scotia, the chances of you making the team in Edmonton were so slim. It was almost like you were auditioning for the other teams that may be in the building every night. That, that was the case. I think that most guys, it wasn't in my mind because I was too young, too dumb to even know like what the trading is and all that stuff till later on. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, I'm sure the guys that have been down there for two or three years and had a skill level that uh, could have been applied at a national hockey league level, how can you not think that? I hope that somebody notices you and picks you up and gives you the chance, right? Mm-hmm. But there's only so many spots that are available uh, to, to fight for. So it's it's it was tough down there, yeah. So as your season's going on, and you said fighting wasn't part of your repertoire, you do it and everything, but part of your game was the sandpaper and maybe trying to get the boys going. And I think there was a game in New Haven one night that maybe you felt <laughs> that the, the guys needed to get going. And you saw a guy that you thought you might want to maybe bully a little bit and you thought he might be a good matchup for you. Can you tell us that story? Yes, I can. Yeah. The, the, the lucky star shone on me and then uh, the, the individual didn't take offense to my, my advances. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're at the tail end of a, one of these sweeps down there where we play the bingo and the Rochester and everybody else, uh, like six, seven games in a row. And our last, last game is New Haven. And, uh, of course, as you would imagine, like, being on a bus, everybody's tired. You, you, you try to find a way to get going, you know. Like, so we're, we're – in in, and notice the guys flying around with this, like, Jofa, long hair, uh, named Baumgartner. I wasn't reading programs. I didn't know who is who in a zoo. You know, I'm just – I go, hey, that looks like guys are maybe European. So on a face-off, I look at him. You know, because the game was an uneventful game. And I go, hey, I'll kill you. What you looking at? Or something, <laughs> some stupid thing. And he looks at me, shakes his head, and uh, lets me off the hook. I come back to the bench thinking that I'm like, fuck, I'm the man. Uh, now I, I'm, I'm, I'm HL knows. I'm, then I notice I, 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 I bark. Yeah, he wants uh, no part of you. Yeah, <laughs> nobody was a part of me, not even European with the long flowing hair. So I get to the bench, and Luke Crawford was our tough guy. He slides over to me and says, what the fuck? What are you doing? I go, what do you mean what I'm doing? I'm trying to get us going. Lou, Lou dog, I'm trying to get us going. He goes, okay, well, I don't ever want you to speak to that guy again. <laughs> <laughs> so anyways, as you know, you heard the story that the, the, 
the guy that let me off the hook, Scott Free, was a, a bomber, mm. and uh, nothing happened. He didn't take it out on me. He didn't have. Well, he was he was an honest guy, yeah. right? So yeah. I clearly, after giving a heads up by by Lou Dog, I wasn't go, going back there. Bark again. Um, just played played my game, and uh, yeah, got I got away with one, Joe. Yo, man, uh, that <laughs> yeah, he pretty much terrorized everywhere he played. And when I heard that story, I, I, I got to tell you, I'm listening. I, I watched the episode with Mac and you when it first happened, but this week I was listening to it on the train again, and I'm literally on the train by myself, laughing out loud about the story about Mick and Bomber going, "Oh my God, this is, you had no idea." No, I had no idea what dealing with that. And funny enough, in the summer, I think following summer or next summer after that, uh, they, they're both in Edmonton. I'm, I'm skating. I was good, my good friend was Jim Thompson. Mm-hmm. So Jimmy and I skated a lot in, in, the, in the ice ring in the West Edmonton. And both Bomber and Mick, they must have been friends or something. They were there. And I, we were in the locker room after the little skate. It was in the summer. I said, boys, I just want to say, I want to say hi and thank you. <laughs> <laughs> Bomber was kind of quiet. I don't even remember that. Mick laughed, you know. It was, it was, it was, it was good, yeah. It oh, was... man, when the two of those guys were here on the island, that was yeah. unbelievable. It was yeah. it was so much fun. Like, obviously, I'm old enough to remember the Dynasty, uh, the Stanley Cups and everything. But as I got older, I'm, I'm 18, 19, 20, and now those two guys are on the same team. And this isn't... You know, from uh, make another Rocky reference, and he was talking about the worst thing that can happen to a boxer is that they get civilized. Well, the good news for me is while those two guys, well, maybe Bomber is a little more civilized off the ice than Mick is, but on the ice, neither one of them ever got civilized. It was like the Western League versions of both of them up here at times, and it was a lot of fun. So yes, you definitely, uh, you definitely escaped some punishment there. As, and I know, listen, I know you're a big, strong guy and everything, but those guys are next level. I'm under no illusions, Joe. I, I know, <laughs> I know, I got my get out of jail free card there both time. <laughs> so. When you go into the next training camp now with Edmonton, it's a completely different team. Uh, the Gretzky trade had happened. Uh, now, did you stay at Edmonton during the summers? Uh, what was what was that, uh, if you remember, the whole thing with word about they may trade Gretzky, Gretzky might get traded, and then the trade goes down. Do you, were you there for that? I was there because Edmonton was the first place I came to. So Edmonton was my base in the summer for quite a few years until I uh, parted the ways with Edmonton. Mm-hmm. Uh, so... I was there. I wasn't, to be honest, I wasn't following the, the, the news as much in, in the summer in terms of what's going on on team. I was just kind of minding my own business, uh, probably more concerned about where is the ladies' night uh, <laughs> and, and, and going to the gym and skating and stuff. Mm. But uh, it was certainly a huge deal when, when he got traded. I mean, that's the best player of all time mm-hmm. uh, getting, you know, shipped off. Uh, so it... Uh, it was definitely a different feel to the in the camp. Like you, you could feel it, you know, like there was a anticipation. How is it going to go? How is the team going to still survive and be a success? And, you know, and so on. But uh, being the second-tier guy in the age, you know, like the part of the AHL team, it wasn't affecting me as much as any of the guys on the team and the minors. Yeah, I was wondering about, about just being in the area at the time because, you know, you see – you see it on the news and the the documentaries that were done and people actually hanging Peter Pocklington in effigy and and lighting them on fire like the the Pocklington dummies on the nooses and lighting them on fire like that had to be just a crazy place to be around when it went down. 
It was. It was. I mean, you could see the passion for hockey. I mean, you know, the size of the city Edmonton is and with, uh, with them being blessed with the team that they, they had there. Uh, clearly, it was lots and lots of emotions uh, surrounding that trade and, and uh, what happened. And when you go into that camp, was it a different feel now? Because obviously, it's not that Mark Messier developed into a leader once Gretzky left. Mark Messier was always Mark Messier. But now, this is Mark Messier's team. And did that have a different feel to it as opposed to the other camps you were part of? Um, no, I didn't have a chance to really taste taste it fully because uh, I, I the Edmonton was very uh, very direct in in knowing like this is you 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 are part of the farm team. Mm-hmm. This is the big team, so you may get a game or two in there and then yeah. skate a few times, but. The separation was there. Okay. In, in order for you to be part of it, you got to earn it to be there. Okay. And uh, our locker room was away from them from there. So there was some things that I didn't like us from the management side. Guys on the team were unbelievable. They, they tried to be helpful and, and friendly. Yeah. But but the team did not really integrate young guys. You know, I remember get somebody getting ringed out, some young guy. My, it was my second or third camp, and I stepped in because he got ringed up being in the locker room. Yeah. And I said, what the fuck you mean? Like, I mean, he's in the camp. He earned the right to be looking out just like me. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm, I'm not, I'm, we're not trying to sit in somebody's state. We're not taking gear out of somebody's stall. Right, right. And, and I just found that that wasn't, that wasn't something that I, I appreciated there. But there was a lot of great things about Edmonton as well. So mm-hmm. it's kind of mixed emotions, right? I mean, yeah. players were unreal. I mean, they were, they were treated everybody like, 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 like gold. So, so that season, uh, you only ended up playing the one game. Uh, did you? I imagine it was an injury. Uh, what did you uh, blow out your knee, or or what happened? Yeah, yeah. No, I just uh, you know took a took a pass, kind of uh, blind pass in in our zone, and a uh, guy came from the from the blue line and down low and blew my knee completely. It was uh, it was a nasty one. Yeah. So I I got flown into Edmonton and uh, spent the whole year in Edmonton uh, doing rehab and and being around the team. So I mean, right there, that was kind of classy you know touched yeah. by them yeah. got me there right away and uh made sure that I was in the locker room with the guys and then you know didn't go on the road but every game i was welcome to be in, in a, you know watching and so so that was the i i think that year really gave me a a perspective on how to become a leader later on in life mm-hmm. in, in hockey life and 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 see see what it takes to play the roles, you know, the, the, all the roles that they have, they adapted the roles that they play and, mm-hmm. and stuff. So it was, it was good. Well, that makes sense because, yeah, as you said earlier, once you jumped right in, it was all, you know, it was the hockey and the hockey and the practices and the games. It, it you were focused on that, so you couldn't be, you really couldn't be distracted. Now you're not playing, so you can actually focus on other things, and you're not. Let's. Obviously, you're not distracted by the practices and games, but now that you're out with an injury, you can actually focus and see sort of like the inside and learn different things from different players. Correct, correct. I mean, you, you get completely different perspective because now you're not emotionally involved. You're just kind of watching. How is this guy handling it? You know, he's a healthy scratch. How is this guy handling, you know, playing, you know, four minutes, even though he could play 15, 20 minutes somewhere else? There's all, all these things that you have to battle inside and then... And, uh, um, I wasn't very successful implementing it myself in North America, for sure. I battled it all along. And I think that might have become a, uh, a deciding factor why many guys did not make it, 
not being able to make that uh, adjustment in their expectations of what their role will be on a team. Right. And, uh, you know, some of them did, like Sean Podine, and became a regular and uh, had a tremendous career. Mm-hmm. But the window of opportunity to recognize it and, and team noticing that you, this, is, this, is, this guy's a soldier. It's an elite group of people that make that, make that league. And uh, anybody saying otherwise that that guy got lucky that he got there, that bullshit, man. Like to get into the NHL and become a regular, regular player, mm-hmm. you paid your dues, you've done everything, you've done something really right to, to, to be there. And uh, yeah, so yeah, that was a that was a year that I had a really chance to see it. As I said, I didn't implement it enough uh, later on with the second go around with the Nordiques, mm-hmm. but. Uh, Later in my career in Europe, I drawn from that experience for sure. Now, how was your knee going into that that next training camp? Were you completely healed? Was everything fine, or was it uh, was anything giving you problems? Because I saw that you played thirty two games that year in Cape Breton. Uh, were you fully healed going into that training camp? No, I, I rushed it a bit. You know, I mean that 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 injury was uh, uh, was pretty severe, and uh, I was so hungry to get back into the game. Like, I mean, they like to, when they brought me back, they had a surgery. After the surgery, a surgeon comes in. And tells me you should be able to walk without a limp. That was his first thing to me. And I go, mm-hmm. for fuck, I came here to play hockey. I'm 20 years old. Right. I'm gonna be not limping. Anyways, they hooked me up with a great uh, physio, and I was skating. I believe he, like early January, it was back on the ice. But I should have just really taken the time to heal up the whole year, because my knee wasn't was never the same. I mean, I got hurt again on the same knee. Mm-hmm. Uh, a year later or two later in, in Quebec's uh, in, in AHL and uh, I battled that injury on and off like luckily Europe they had a lot less games yeah. so and you don't play as physical so I could I could get away with it there was no way I could have continued 80 game schedule AHL IHL or NHL it would not have never held up now I know that you mentioned how Edmonton would separate the the prospects and the minor leaguers from the NHL guys but there was a guy that joined the team um I, the season before, but you probably, well, maybe you ran into him because you were you were rehabbing the injury, um, and he's arguably the toughest guy that has ever laced him up. Do you ever ever have any experiences with Dave Brown? Joe, I honestly, I'm glad he brought that name up. I he got traded to Edmonton, and I did not like. I knew who Dave Brown is while yeah. watching watching the hockey games, but I never seen him off ice. Mm-hmm. So I come into the locker room one day, and he's sitting there. Must have been freshly after the locker. He just got traded in the morning. <coughs> Excuse me. And he's sitting in his stall. Nobody's in the room yet, just him and trainers. So I walk in. He looked like a freaking school teacher to me. Mm. He didn't look big. I had glasses on. I go, yep. good morning. He goes, hi, good morning. And I don't know who he is. I, you know, like I, because I, I only seen him with a helmet on. Like I, I, so. Next, next thing I know, guys come in and goes, "That's Dave Brown." I go, "That's Dave Brown." Fuck, I'm not. I take him on right now. Fuck. <laughs> <laughs> not like I mean, the, the the talking about absolute killer. I mean, he killer in disguise because he was the nicest, kindest man. Like in off the ice, quiet. He didn't. But when he was on the ice, and you could see the switch going off. Mm-hmm. Yeah, man. I, I'm. I don't need to be preaching to you. Like you see what he can do. <laughs> So that was my interaction. We never became close. I mean, right. he, he 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 came on as outsides. I knew the older guys because they seen me around the organization for two or three years. Right. And I'm just kind of hang around. I'm just there rehabbing. I'm not really part of the team. Mm-hmm. I'm also 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 their guy, you know. Right. So 
didn't have a chance to speak, spend much time with him. The word I use about Dave Brown, um, when you see him off the ice, <clears throat> like you said, he's just a big dude. He's got glasses. Just you would never guess it. Off the ice, he's unassuming. You just don't know. Like he could, like say, he could be a school teacher. He could be a banker. He could be any of these guys. Like you never would associate the guy, that guy, with how he was on the ice. And like, God forbid he ever grabbed Aldi with the right hand, because then you know the left is coming. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. No, for sure. For sure. I mean that that, that not knowing how what violence he's capable of inflicting that that did not associate with his looks that's for sure (laughs) well and just you know just to to veer off a little bit uh one of my favorite mick vakota stories is uh and again it involved you europeans you just cause trouble uh i think they were on the bus going to the spectrum one night and he pulls darius kasparaitis aside and he basically says look do me a favor just leave dave brown alone tonight you know, just let let the sleeping dog lie. Just leave him alone. And Darius goes, okay, okay. And then Mick says, first shift, he goes, and he just goes right after Dave Brown. And it, Mick's <laughs> on the bench going, oh, fuck, now I know what's coming. So it's just, <laughs> it's like, it, you know, it, it's just, I love those stories, you know. And he's just like, oh, what the fuck are you doing? You yeah, exactly. Like, so, last thing I needed to be firing that guy up. <laughs> exactly. So. It, it, when when you're in Cape Breton, and I don't know if you cross paths because you know we'll get to the fact that you were loaned to a different team, and I don't know when these guys would have played with Cape Breton if you were still there. But you played with two, and one of the things I like the best about the minors at this time is the absolute characters in the game. Something you know a lot about because you played with a bunch of them. But there were two guys that were in Cape Breton for just cups of coffee: uh, Mark LaForge and Jacques Mayotte. Were they there when you were there? No, Forgey was in the camp, okay. um, and then I, uh, yeah, I, I rebelled, so I left. Forgey, yeah. Forgey, I had a chance to be in the camp with, and once again, that's another guy that is very unassuming. I'm mm-hmm. clearly not a statue of Dave Brown, but yeah. uh, but feared guy in the league, tough guy, nicest guy off the ice. Uh, had a lot of time. We sat next to each other in the training camp in Edmonton, and then uh, uh, I played against him with Halifax when he was in Cape Breton, and we always had a time to chat on the ice, you know. You know, not like we were kissing each other, but that's just friendly. I gave him respect because he clearly could inflict damage, and he was uh, he was nice. Mayot, Jacques, I have never played with him, but I played tons of games against him with with Nova Scotia was in Cape Breton, and then uh, I seen him. He made it with a very limited skating skill to the NHL. Gotta give that guy a credit. I mean, yeah. Jacques fought his way in his first year, like especially he he fought Mike Ware. Mm-hmm. Probably 15 times. I don't know. They fought every freaking game. Mm-hmm. And I think Mike won 15 and all the first year. Like there was maybe there was a couple of draws. And then Jacques fought his way into a freaking legit heavyweight. And where is he? Remember, I remember him calling me one day uh, when I was in Edmonton with my blown knee. He goes, yeah, dude, I'm, you wouldn't believe what happened. I got my freaking teeth knocked out. My face rearranged by Jacques Mayotte. <laughs> so, so. Talking about guy that just kind of stuck with it and, and and became a legend. I mean, I don't know how many games in the minors he played, but he ended up actually making NHL. I'm pretty sure he mm-hmm. played four or five games or something. They played with Quebec, yeah. Quebec, yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. So never played with Jack, but played against him. Uh, I think that he was probably uh, very much appreciated by all his teammates, whatever he played. So what uh, what led up to you being loaned to Phoenix? Uh, was that something that maybe you initiated or is it something they initiated? Um, I'm guessing that if you have the chance to 
go to Phoenix and play hockey and leave Moncton, not that there's anything wrong with Moncton, but you have a chance to go to Phoenix, play, and obviously at that time, the IHL was a more veteran league. You played, you know, it was older guys. You're flying. You're not busing. Uh, how did that whole loan to Phoenix come about? Joe, I was in a bad place in my head. You know, I, I uh, did not have mentorship, uh, and I, uh, I was, I was initiated by me. I rebelled. I mean, we had a coach that, that came into Cape Breton, uh, Don right? Yeah, Don McAdam, and uh, Don is I know we were. I just reached out to him about a year ago saying sorry about me acting out and all that stuff. But uh, Ron Lowe left, and Ron Lowe was trying to be a bit of a mentor for me and, and, and help me, but he got promoted. He became an assistant coach in Edmonton. So Don McAdam comes in as a as a rookie coach of pro hockey. And uh, I I wasn't good at following structures. I just felt I, I, I needed more ice time and everything else. So our relationship there wasn't great, uh, and mostly due to me being immature and and, and not knowing, you know, how to conduct yourself in professional hockey. And uh, eventually they sent uh, Bruce McGregor, who was an assistant GM, down uh, to, to witness me in, in practice and stuff. I said, I want to get out of here. Like, trade me. I was asking for trade. Right. And of course, they didn't trade me. So, so the only solution they could come up with is to, to send me to a Phoenix. And uh, I said, I'll go anywhere. Fucking send me anywhere. <laughs> Just get me out of here. <laughs> and, of course, Phoenix being Phoenix, beautiful spot. Yeah. Beautiful spot. Um, now again, we're going to talk about some minor league characters. Um, I don't know if they get bigger than Robbie Nichols. (laughs) (laughs) So when I landed in Phoenix, I realized, I mean, I got, got, but I loved every guy down there. Mm -hmm. Gary Younger was the coach. He was the nicest man. I mean, Mm -hmm. this guy, this is a man that I have so much respect for, but I mean, he was given, uh, probably every you know, troubled child and, 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 and veteran <laughs> that, that ever played hockey. And they put him in a pot and put him in Phoenix. And he tried to handle them. So Robbie was was, was a great character. Brent Sapergia, mm-hmm. Larry Floyd, Kerry Clark. I mean, uh, Rick Spangler. Like, I mean, like, it was, Go it ahead, was, keep naming guys, because right now you're naming guys that I have listed here. So keep going. Keep oh, Let's see if you can name them all. Dude, Jimmy Magoo. Uh... Who else was uh, Dave Richter? Okay. John Mokosak came in for a little bit. Like Dave, Dave was a freaking gong show. Like we, uh, we really had a, a had a team that, that there was some, there was some there were some good guys that wanted to to, to do well and, yeah. and were trying to do it the right way. But we had the, the, there was the the leadership core mm-hmm. was pretty much guys that were stung by the the fact that they were not making it where they should have been with the with the skill level they had and. So it was a tough, it wasn't a great place to develop. And not, not due to the lack of Gary Younger trying, right. but there was too many wild horses running everywhere, you know, and, 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 and head cases. And, and, you know, like it's, uh, we were we were definitely a wild bunch for sure. So out of all the guys that I listed, I, I have a relationship with Kerry Clark. Okay. Uh, Kerry's a friend and I love him. And uh, did you, so what'd you think? Because I'm assuming he did this down there as well. Did you ever experience firsthand the uh, moonwalk and the three amigos after a goal? Sharky did everything, man. Like, I mean, I it really, uh, to me, actually, carry like, I, no, don't being great friend in my corner and seeing enforcers. Yeah, I, I, it was something else because when I came to Phoenix, I realized like this is a this is like a point of no return. I really thought like this is it. I'm fucking now. I'm no, I'm not gonna make it. I mean, this is this is it. This is the last 
last saloon, last gen saloon. Yeah. And and Sharky, despite the fact that we were not a great team, and everybody was kind of going their own way, fought everybody every freaking game. Like there was no there was no prisoners, no no no. There was no free, get out of free jail cards for anybody. Mm-hmm. He fought his best friend. I think him and uh, Tony Twist were yep. friends, like a really really good friends, and they were going to Peoria. Mm-hmm. And I'm going. Sharky, what's going on? You look a little bit off yourself. Let's fuck, man. I'm not. I'm, I'm not talking today, like, because he knew he yeah. was gonna fight his one of his best friends. The bet he was the best man at his wedding. Was he? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't, like, I mean, I, oh, we only played together for that half a season, and yeah. I have nothing but tremendous respect for for Shark for Kerry because uh, he uh, he definitely put it out there every single game. He was a showman, and uh, I was happy to see him. I seen some pictures of him winning a. Uh, Calder Cup, I think he won. In, yes, in, with Springfield. In, in, in Springfield with Killer. With well, actually, no, I'm sorry. He didn't win. He got. He was there at the beginning of the year with Springfield. Then he got traded. He didn't win it there, but he won it in Portland with Killer. Uh, their Portland, first season. Yeah, that, okay, Portland. Moved, yeah, yeah. Portland, uh, yeah. Washington moved the team from Baltimore to Portland. That team was loaded, and obviously the leadership on that team was off the charts, and they won it that year. And Barry Trotz was the coach. Yeah, okay. I, I just seen a picture on the Facebook a year or two, and I go, I haven't seen Kerry. I haven't spoken to him for years and years, but I seen him smoking a cigar with, uh, and him and Killer yep. together. And Great I was picture. just, you know, it, it warmed my heart because if anybody deserves to experience that kind of, you know, joy with his team, is is him and Killer. Yes. Both of those guys. Love both of those guys. Yeah. Two guys I want to ask you about that were fighters. Uh, one guy who I'm curious about because I remember when he was, when he came up through Quebec, I thought this guy was going to be like one of the next superstars for the Nordiques and it just didn't work out was Jason Lafreniere. Hawk, you know, Hawk was in Phoenix as well. I mean, I have forgot his name there to put it in the mix. Probably most talented player on, on the team. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I, I have a soft spot for the guy. We have, we had some run-ins when me and him, him and me, so we're not talking right now, but uh, oh, geez. That, okay. that aside, that, that aside, uh, as far as, being a being a, a a teammate and a player, he was a, he was a great teammate. And and as as far as talent goes, unlimited talent. Yeah. And uh, coming so highly touted out of junior, and knowing what you can do, probably even proving himself at the NHL level, getting pushed down and tested and pushed aside, it's not easy. You know, it, uh, opposed to a guy that you know, I grinded it out here. I'm just here by skin of my teeth. I'm trying to make a living. The guys that are uber talented, like Jason was, mm-hmm. and get shut down and put underwater, their head continues to underwater, it's tough, tough to handle. And uh, I think that uh, his off ice reflected that eventually, you know, his off ice activities. And, and uh, um, he ended up playing in Europe as well, uh, in the same league as I did, did tremendous air. I mean, yeah, good, good, good player, great talent. Uh, and said that it didn't work out for him. Yeah, it, it should have been a long, long initial career, given the right place, the right time, with the right leadership. Uh, and I'm sure anyone that's ever played with this guy or for this guy has to have. Do you have a favorite uh, Bruce Boudreaux story? <laughs> Bruce Boudreaux story, man. Like, so when I came in, I I, like, I played against uh, Yabi in in AHL, but I was just a rookie, man. Like as I said, I didn't read the programs. I didn't know. I knew that he scored a zillion points. Mm-hmm. And when I came down, I landed. I go in the dressing room, and he was at the tail end of his career. Joe, yep. I came in. I honestly thought he was a fucking trainer yeah. or something. He was like a <laughs> little pot belly. Yep. And, and, and I go, this guy's like, this is this is Bruce Boudreau. Mm-hmm. So he was late 30s at the time. 
the longest stick I've ever seen. Not much of a voice in a dressing room, kind of unassuming, quiet leader, right. but still going on the ice at that age and easily. Would he could have smoked a cigarette on the bench if he wanted to, have a cup of coffee, still putting three to four points a, a game. Mm-hmm. Like just, just seeing the game so good, so so much experience, very lots of poise. Mm-hmm. Uh, I liked him, but he was a little bit older than me. Yeah. And uh, I should have gravitated towards him rather than the party guys. But my nature was, okay, let's go. Let's go have fun. Sure. Yeah. <laughs> so I went the wrong way. <laughs> well, but I think we all would have done that at that age. Because at that age, you're you're in the locker room. You're with some of the younger guys. That's where you're going to go. I, at that point, hanging out with Boudreaux probably would have been like hanging out with your uncle. Exactly, so, yeah. And then probably it was, why would I hang out with this comic kid? <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. <laughs> So you, when you mentioned your contract with Edmonton, it was like a three and three. They had the option for the next three years. And is that what happened after that? After you finished with Phoenix, they exercised that option to to have maintain you for another three years. Is that what they did? Believe it or not, after all I have not done in North America, like <laughs> they came in and uh, uh, said, you know what, we're going to resign you for three more years. I mean, I haven't done fuck all. I mean, like first year in Halifax, I was in and out of lineup, uh, you know, with Ron Lowe trying to, you know, rein me in and teach me a bit. Second year, I missed completely. Yeah. Third year, I become a distraction in Cape Breton with Don McAdam, mm-hmm. forced my way out of there to, to Phoenix. So I'm thinking, I'm done with Edmonton. They're going to wash their hands off me. But in the summer, they, they said, no, no, we're exercising our option. We're, we're, we're signing for another, another three years. There was a little signing bonus, so I didn't fight it. I, I wanted the money. <laughs> so I signed for three more years with Edmonton, uh, went to the camp. It was, a, it was a different camp because the main team went to Europe. There was a, one of those first seasons where they started to tour around, mm-hmm. and they left all of us, uh, AHL and, and, and walk-ons and stuff in Edmonton. And uh, had a really good camp. I, I was really excited. I worked really hard all summer, and I... Felt like I might, might uh, kind of healed up from the injury, and I, I think maybe I may have a shot. So I end up being second in scoring in the camp behind Sean Potin. You know, Sean Pote came in, and he didn't look like much of a player, mm-hmm. but he was greedy and and and, and had skill. So I was hitting, and I thought it was going to be a good, uh, good, uh, good chance for me to make a team. It never transpired, which led me to another episode of Metulak special <laughs> where I announced to uh, John Muckler and Glenn Sater that I'm not going to the pump team. Mm-hmm. I'm, I'm an NHL guy. <laughs> <laughs> that, well, I mean, uh, and listen, those guys, they, what do they know about hockey, right? How did they miss me? <laughs> <laughs> and, and is that when, and, and when they said that you were going to go to Cape Breton, is that when you decided to go back home? It was yeah, it, you know, I just it was just so ugly, man. Like we were going down to Calgary for a, a, a preseason camp uh, game because against Flames, which was always a pleasure. And uh, on the way home, they're sending guys down. They're calling guys to the front of the bus, um, you know, and sending guys down to the farm team to their <laughs> demise on a bus. And I just thought it was so disrespectful after 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 whole season. So they, my name came up. Mm-hmm. And I said, and I just yelled, at, "Fuck! I'm not coming! Fuck you! I'm not coming up there!" On the so bus, silence. This yeah, is happening on the bus. On a bus. Silence. You know, dead silence. I go, oh god, like that one. <laughs> so we stop in Red Deer, and uh, I get off the bus. I said, "I'm not fucking going." That's it. Do whatever you want. So they sent me to go home. Stay. Uh, I stayed at home. So we're gonna see what we're gonna do with you. They just signed me to three-year contract, mm-hmm. and uh, they kept me there. 
for it was like September, October, no, November. So stay on the phone. Seder says. So I stay on the phone, hoping that I'm gonna get sent somewhere, mm-hmm. and then no, no call comes in. So eventually, I have to. I show up at the ring in his office. I ask to see Mr. Seder. I see him. Says, "What? What do you want?" I said, "Well, I, aren't you gonna trade me?" He goes, "No, all I have to do is pay you." Oh, Jeez. So it it hit home, you know. I mean, like yeah. you have that guy. I got what is it? Thirty grand, thirty-five grand a year for mm-hmm. two years. I said, no, I'm done. I, I got to get out of here. Yeah. And that's how my North American statement ended. I went back to Czechoslovakia, got bought out. I, I hired a lawyer, mm-hmm. uh, an agent, because everything I'd done up to that point was by myself. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they got me out. So I ended up going back home. See, this is another difference between the Islanders dynasty and the Oilers dynasty. You know, Mr. Torrey and Al Arbor would have treated you much better than this. That's all I have to say. That, maybe that's why they won four in a row and not just two in a row a couple of times. But I digress. I, you know, I was not a pleasure to. I was not a, you know, God's gift to work with either at the time. <laughs> uh, so I can't blame Edmonton. It was definitely a lot of it. Most of it had to do with me. You know, you sound like it. a little bit of a pain in the ass, Ivan. I got to be honest with you. I was, yeah, I was. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. so now you're going back home. So. um is this the first time you're going? You're back in Czechoslovakia uh, since the defection. Yeah, yeah. So I'm going back home and uh, um, end up signing with the team. Slovan Bratislava. They were, you know, taking me back. And uh, um, the guy told off before I left. I was, so, I was so afraid when a guy didn't show up in Hungary in Budapest to meet me. I go fuck. I told the president of the club to fuck himself. You know, like I just, I was, I was really, really bad. Mm-hmm. He has to meet me at the airport with the with the cameras and welcome me back. And I didn't know that. Mm-hmm. I see this guy, welcome back. I go, this guy would probably want to see me shot <laughs> four years ago, <laughs> put in a gulags. Mm-hmm. Now yeah. he's welcome. He, he was still president. And uh, anyways, uh, they took me back. I ended up playing, I don't know, maybe 18, 20 games there. And then uh, going back to North America, giving another go with the Nordiques. Well, forget about the hockey going back there. Was it the first time you had seen your family? Were they in that period of time? Um, were they ever able to come visit you, or it was still they weren't allowed to leave? So, was this the first time you were able to see your family? Yeah, yeah. This was, I, I didn't go back until that point. So that was a that was my first visit back. Yeah. Did your mom smack you and say, "Ivan, don't ever do that again"? Yeah, no. She was, you know, she got over it. She she was happy, and yeah. you know, it was uh, now it's been. What close to three years or something? Yeah, yeah three years or more. Yeah, so it was, uh, it was good. So when you came back, uh, I saw you played some with Halifax and some with Albany. Which team did you start with? That was before. That was before I went back to Slovakia. Well, well actually, Quebec jumped in right away. As soon as I got bought out from Edmonton, mm-hmm. Quebec contacted my guy and says we would like to have a look at him because we've seen him play in the AHL, mm-hmm. but we don't have a room for him. Like if you just come in, if we get play a couple of games, when I see him in person. Mm-hmm. So I went down to Halifax play i think one or two games maybe even just the one two games um, well you're listed at games. you're listed with two games but maybe you dressed you didn't you know i don't know maybe two i can't remember it was yeah. very, like very short stint they mm-hmm. no problem we're gonna send you to albury for one game we're gonna fly you wherever you want to go with a, with a, us you promising us to come back to our camp okay. without anything signed so i gotta give credit quebec credit they paid for all my flights back to europe gave me all my equipment sticks Without any commitment for me to go back, and I played in Slovakia, came and signed as a professional tryout next year in Quebec for for camp and All signed right. a contract. All right. So now we're going to talk about some of these guys in Halifax, and some of them, obviously, that first 
you know, the two games you were there, but I, you played there next year. So when I, when I throw out the name, you could talk about just your time with them in its entirety. It doesn't have to be just from, from the two games. I have to start with the bird dog. You, and now you played against them, right? I'm sure you played against them. And now he's your teammate. And, and I, I just go ahead. I, Greg Smith. Bird dog was one of a kind. Like one of a kind, definitely a, a a guy that at first, if you don't know what he's about, you may have, you know, reserved feelings because he could be extremely mean at times. But as far as his heart was always in a good place. I mean, he was a excellent team guy. Uh, you weren't sure what he was going to do on the ice, whether he's going to tomahawk you on the head or or, or fight you or, or whatever he's going to do, but. Free spirited. Uh, I have nothing bad to say about Bird Dog, man. Like, I mean, I remember one one day we went out after the game, and uh, I hurt my ankle during the game, but it wasn't bad that night. So we're up in a bar after the game we won, and uh, have a have a lady one. So next morning we have a we have a skate, and I'm not the one that wants to you know bail out parachute, but so I especially after being out. So we go back in the morning, and I'm. I get him taped up. I get on a bench. I get. A, I do three or four strikes. I can't do anything. So Bird Dog's just waiting for it, and he's sitting on the sidelines. And I, jo- Clement Jodwin's on a bench. I said, Clem, I can't. I can't go. And Bird Dog's has a water bottle squirting in his mouth. Goes. Didn't look too bad to me. Three a.m. in a palace. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm I'm leaping in my back and tape up. I'm I'm trying to kill him. I, I'm, I'm, I'm trying to go for his throat. And he's laughing. He like he's on the ice. I'm on a bench, and uh, that was Burdock. I mean, if he could dig in into you, he would. But in the end, like it was, he meant it in a good way, fun yeah, way. Like, he never meant any harm by it. So definitely, uh, yeah, I, I just can't say anything bad about Burdock. I, I was sad that you know um, that that he's uh, gone, expired so so young and so early, and uh, yeah. he left a lot of great relationship and a lot of friends behind. I'm sure. Uh, another guy, uh, and I actually asked him, uh, I don't know if you listened to the Trevor Steinberg episode, but I asked Steinberg what he remembered about you. And he said, just a big, strong, physical guy, very nice guy and a great teammate. And then he said, man, tell them I miss him, will you? So what do you remember uh, about Steiny? Steiny and I only play very briefly, yep. and uh, I just have so much respect for that guy. You know, when you have uh, somebody, because of my, my rookie year, I played against him so many times, mm. and he was a fucking, he was a good player. Yeah. He was, he was uh, greedy, uh, skilled, and everything else. And uh, I remember him and me, but we were bottled. We yeah. never fought or anything, right. but, but we always had an intense bottles. And uh, when I came on a team, when you, when you have that kind of in, intense rivalry with another team, especially another player, right. you kind of always wary of how is, how, how, how is he going to receive, how is he going to accept it. But he was nothing but but a, a gentleman and and welcoming and uh, uh, yeah blessed to, to be very for a short period of time to be his teammate yeah he uh, another guy that I mean easily had a skill and in every attribute to be an NHL player just didn't have the right place right time so I'm I'm very uh, very uh, honored that he uh, mentioned my name and uh, please make sure if you do speak to him that I say hi always always. Yeah. Uh, so was this the first time you were able to speak to Everett Sanapas since the punch up? Did you did you ask him about it? Like as soon as you no. meet him in the locker room? That's, that's, in, in Quebec, yes, yes. yes. But like I mean, we, uh, I I love that guy. Yeah. Like, like 
deep is as genuine as 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 they come. Like I really, really, really enjoyed Everett, and uh, we spent a lot of time in our time in Halifax. Um, we didn't talk about the punch up much because I wasn't involved in it. it was Russia and them. Right. Uh, but uh, I remember having him over in my place in, in Halifax one day, and he brought a case of beer, and I had a sauna in the house, and he was gonna uh, make me a warrior. So you know, he, he had a, the, the sweat lodge. Mm-hmm. So we were gonna go and seek the spirits. Oh yeah, dude. Eight beers then, uh, and, uh, and 180 degrees Celsius in there. Like, I'm cooking alive. There's no chance. I'm delirious now. This is cheap. I'm out. I can't. So I, I, I crawl out of the sauna like, before I, I, I reached the spot that, you know, where he was promised me to take me because I couldn't do it. I, I was going to die. He stayed in there for another, I don't know, 15, 20 minutes, came out and uh, um, did his own thing. And it was, he was just unbelievable teammate, beautiful soul, in and out. Absolutely love the guy. Uh, and I don't think you were with this guy for too long because I don't know if he you played with him in Halifax next year or not. Uh, Jim Sprott. Sprotter, yeah, yeah. Sprotter. Okay. Yeah, Sprotter was on a team, and uh, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> dude, I didn't know how tough that guy was until I watched some fights. Yeah, him demolishing guys. Mm-hmm. Super nice guy. Uh, once again, great teammate. I don't like through my career. I didn't have too many bad teammates, but all these guys that you mentioned, yeah, maybe because of the fact they had to also fight and be physical at times, uh, it made them more genuine and more, more down to earth, salt of the earth guys. So Sprite and I, we didn't really, uh, we were not close uh, friends or anything like that, but uh, always, always willing to help and everything for the team. So. Yeah, see, Ivan, that's one of the reasons why I do this show and I, I do my Islanders show because there's so many podcasts out there and, and I don't have the reach of uh, Paul Bissonnette or, or Joe Rogan, like I always say, but the these guys, the guys that do this job for a living and, and you know, some guys never make the NHL and it's just, to me, it's my my small part of, you know, a tribute to them and the job that they did and, you know, like I said, it'd be better if someone like Joe Rogan was acknowledging them because then it's worldwide. But for me, the, these guys deserve to have their name, you know, never die out there, you know, and, and maybe someone hasn't thought about a Jim Sprott or an Everett Santa Pass for a little bit. And then if they're listening to this episode, they go, oh, yeah, I remember those guys. Those guys were tough. And so that's that's part of the reason why I do these shows. You know what? God bless you because uh, they deserve it. And I can assure you, like 100% every teammate – that played with the guy, with the tough guy, does remember these guys forever, man. Like I, I, that's no doubt in my mind that uh, we all, we all know and appreciate what they done and sacrificed every game, and then what mental battles they had to fight to be in the game, or even before the game was on, two, three days before, you know, reading up. Oh, God, I'm, I'm here. I have these two maniacs to freaking deal with. <laughs> you know, it, it, it was such a such a tough job, a role to play. And, and 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 all of them are great, great guys. All right, now Ivan, you know this. These guys have a special place in my heart. I have a minor league route mush Mount Rushmore, and you played with one of the guys on my minor league route mush Rushmore. Jesus, easy for me to fucking say today. Um, <laughs> Serge Roberge, please talk about Serge because I absolutely love that guy. I wish I wish there was some way I could get a hold of him, and I wish all of a sudden I could learn how to speak French. So I could have him on this show. I don't think it'll ever happen because of the language thing. But that guy to me is a stone cold assassin. Stone cold assassin, an absolute gem. Like I, I, 
I said I sent him a message. He's on a Facebook, and I said to him, sent a message about uh, he's not very active on it or, or any of that. But uh, I, uh, from my interaction with him in in the year, you know, it was tough because Quebec. We had a we had the francophone players, we had the English players, so there was always going to be that bit of a uh, language barrier and a bit of a split. Mm-hmm. But Sergi not speaking English he, he, very much. He was an absolute gem of a guy. Like I, I, I reached out to him after not seeing him for years, and you said, "Dude, like he's still till this time one of my ultimate favorite teammates." Mm-hmm. You know, fair, honest, tough guy, fair teammate. Never show, never would show both on any on any, of, any of his fights. And he, I mean, his kill percentage was pretty good, man. <laughs> <laughs> there was not many guys that that, that did something to Sergi. I mean, uh, could be probably the all-time best in AHL in, in, in his percentages. I mean, he was like a python, man. Uh, if he didn't get in too early, and it, as the fight went on, you knew that, that the, your odds of looking good were not very good. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, great, great teammate. Great teammate. And now you spent three games in Albany. Now, were you the reason why they folded? Were you such a pain in the ass? They just got rid of They said, look, we can't take Matulik anymore. We're just going to fold the team. Most likely, yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> Racked it up to my tally. <laughs> well, uh, a few guys I want to ask you about there. One guy who I mentioned earlier that was probably playing for Springfield the night that Mick Vakoda almost killed you. Uh, did you play with Dale Henry in Albany? Yes, I do remember Dale. Uh, I was such a brief stint there, yeah. but uh, uh, I do remember being you know, Dale. Yeah, he, he was uh, he was one of the guys. I never knew his resume. I didn't yeah. know uh, like he was a solid solid nhl career mm-hmm. and uh one of the guys did his job professionally you know like uh, I, as i said i was only there for two weeks maybe yeah. between boxing and games so it wasn't very long enough for me to uh to uh make a stuff but but he did as soon as he mentioned that name i remember professional and not knowing what he had behind him mm-hmm. how he you know interacted with all the teammates great guy well, I think Albany was was I, I think the IHL at the time, like you said, if there was really no main affiliation with an NHL team, a lot of these teams ended up being like the land of misfit toys, and that's not a slight to anybody, but it was just kind of like these patchwork rosters where you piece a guy here, piece a guy there, like you mentioned the guys in Phoenix. So, um, you know, and, and Dale was a guy who we were fortunate enough to see here on the island, and he and he was great in uh, in Springfield. And actually, if you if you want to go back, he almost killed Jacques Mayotte one night with a headbutt. If you watch that old Fredericton Springfield brawl, you see Jacques has the bandage like a towel bandage around his head. That's because Dale Henry headbutted him. Did he? Yeah, Dale. No. People talk about Ty Domi's head. I think I'd rather have Ty Domi headbutt me than Dale Henry. Yeah, yeah. And he was once again quiet. Like I didn't know how tough yeah. he was until mm-hmm. I, I started watching the the, the clips and and, and and YouTube's right. So mm-hmm. uh, another guy that you played with down there, maybe you didn't get a chance to know him, but I think he's hard to miss, and that's Scott Shaughnessy. Scott, Scott, yeah, he's a big boy, <laughs> yeah. a big boy, big boy. And he, I I played against him too when he was in uh in uh, uh AHL when I was with the Oilers farm team. I mean, he was a monster of a man, monster of a man. 